on matter concerning Crass Rock Water under CRS 24-6-4024EI. The time is now 5.15 and all council members are present. Um, with no exception, we're going to ex executive session propose uh, determining positions relative to water matters. Um, I'll take a motion. So moved. Second. First by uh, Mayor Portem Bracken, second by Councilmember Cavey. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Portem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passed unanimously. We will return.
Good evening. Pastor Sean Young with Cornerstone Presbyterian Church will begin with the invocation. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for uh, the wonderful people of Castle Rock. And we thank you for all of the folks who work to make um, this town hum on the staff of the town. Thank you also for our council members, and uh, we pray that you would give them discernment and wisdom as they make decisions that affect the whole community, and that you would bless this community, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. This meeting has been held in a, in a connected meeting in accordance with town council electronic participation and connected and hybrid meeting policy. I'll ask the town clerk for roll call. Councilmember Hollingshead. Here. Councilmember Cavey. Here. Councilmember LaFleur. Here. Councilmember Brooks. Present. Councilmember Dietz. Here. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Here. Mayor Gray. Here. All are present. Thank you. Please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. First up, I have a number 2023-92 presentation by Dumb Friends League, Colorado Humane Society, and buddies at her, Katie Parker. Okay, well that's fine. I can start anyway because I know you have a big agenda. Um, I'm Katie Parker. I'm the Vice President of Sheltering for the Dumb Friends League, and we are the organization that runs the Buddy Center in Castle Rock, which does the animal sheltering for the city of Castle Rock. And so I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the Dumb Friends League. We are an organization that has been in Colorado since 1910, and so we have a long history of animal welfare. Our primary operations are animal sheltering based, and we have expanded that in recent years to providing subsidized medical care for pets owned by community members and to equine welfare. So as you may or may not know, we operate Harmony Equine Center, which is in Franktown, so nearby here. And we also operate Colorado Humane Society, which has contracts in most of the counties in Colorado to assist law enforcement with animal cruelty investigations and housing for animal cruelty cases, and so those animals are housed in our shelters or in our equine facility. Um, so the Buddy Center is our Castle Rock location. It's our medium-sized location, and um, I have stats in my presentation, which I'm sure we'll see soon, um, but it houses somewhere between 4,000 and 7,000 animals each year. 
We also have a small, newer shelter in Alamosa, Colorado. That's our first shelter in rural Colorado, and that opened during the pandemic. And then we have our largest shelter in Denver, which is the Malone Center, and that shelter serves about 16,000 animals a year and is the hub of our resources. So most of our medical and behavior resources for animals, as well as the headquarters of our organization, are located there at our Denver facility. And we support the animals that come through Alamosa and through Castle Rock with the resources located there. Yay. That's okay. Thank you. All right, here we go. Um, so this is our mission. Working with our compassionate community, we will end pet homelessness and animal suffering. And the first part of that is really key to us. We are a partner. And for the town of Castle Rock especially, we are a partner because animal welfare is our expertise. And so we can assist you by providing that service to your community. Next. Okay, good. So I mentioned we started in 1910 and started in Denver and have expanded since then. And in 2002, we built the Buddy Center. And uh, that land for the Buddy Center was donated by the Douglas County Commissioners. And since then, we have had a strong partnership with Douglas County, with Castle Rock. We work in partnership with the town of Parker and a couple of other small municipalities around the South Metro area. We do not do law enforcement. We shelter animals for law enforcement. So um, if the town of Castle Rock has a case going on or they impound an animal, we have a contract to provide the sheltering services for that animal while that case is being solved. In 2010, Colorado Humane Society started. That's the investigations part. And then in 2012, Harmony Equine Center and in 2021 is when the Alamosa Center was opened, and um, that's really been, like I said, our first foray into rural Colorado. It's a different uh, community, a very different approach to animal welfare, and it has. we've learned a lot as we've gotten better at doing the work there. So we are a socially conscious shelter, and socially conscious is really the philosophy that defines how we do our work and how we make decisions. We believe that we have a responsibility to every animal in our care and also to the communities that we partner with. And so we are consistently balancing the needs of the animal, the needs of the greater body of animals in the community, and what, the, what community safety needs are. We make very thoughtful decisions about animals that we can place, animals that need resources from a medical standpoint or a behavior standpoint, and animals that there are no appropriate placement options for and where we need to make appropriate euthanasia decisions so that those animals aren't suffering and so that they aren't presenting a danger to other animals or to people in the community. This is the model of the programs that we provide and the places that we do them. So the one, uh, the veterinary hospital at Spur here, this is our public veterinary clinic where we provide subsidized medical care to pets that are owned. The rest of these locations serve animals that are homeless, currently homeless, looking for a new home or in need of resources. And all of the small green words are all of the programs that we do within those facilities to support animal welfare. So I kind of went through this part when we were doing our ad lib at the beginning and the uh, Buddy Center is kind of in between all of these. 
We've been operating for 20 years. We celebrated our 20 year anniversary last summer and a couple of representatives from the town of Castle Rock joined us and helped us to celebrate that. And it's just really been a strong partnership ever since then. And so we are very appreciative of how the town supports us. Um, as, as Laura knows, we've had the opportunity to connect and we are looking for ways to become more integrated into the community to make sure that the residents here and the decision makers here know about the shelter and know how we can support um, the animals that are here in the community and the people who love them. So in our last fiscal year, the Buddy Center served 3,561 animals. And one thing that's unique about the Buddy Center, because it is the primary shelter in Castle Rock, there aren't a lot of choices, we have a pretty high return to owner rate there. So that means if an animal comes in astray in this local area, they're likely to end up at Buddy Center and they have a great chance of getting home. And that is one benefit of having sort of a single location in your community. It's easier for people to find their pets and easier for pets to get home. Another interesting component is that in the time since the pandemic, we have seen that animals are staying in shelters longer. Across the country, it's taking longer for them to get adopted. We don't know exactly all of those reasons. Partly, it seems like a lot of people got a pet during the pandemic, and so they're not looking for a pet right now. We also know that people's lives are just kind of different. People's lives are, have changed, are continuing to change, and so pets are hard to incorporate into changing life. So we're seeing it take a little bit longer for both cats and dogs to leave our shelter, even once they're ready to be adopted. And so that adds to the number of animals, the population that we're caring for. So a few things upcoming to know that we are gonna be dealing with and working through in the coming years is that the number of animals in need of our services continues to increase. And for the first time in a long time, well, probably in the modern history of our organization, over the last six months, we have had to limit intake. So we are traditionally and are very committed to being what's called an open admission shelter, meaning that we provide shelter for every animal who needs it. Because of the demand for services, we have had to limit um, the number of dogs that we can take in from the community in the last six months. And so we are working really hard to return to being fully open admission, but the amount of need in the community has been overwhelming for our shelters and for many other shelters around the state and around the country. We also are seeing that um, we do not have the ability to move animals around as much as we used to. So one strategy that a lot of sheltering organizations employed before the pandemic to get animals the resources they need is to send them to different communities, different organizations, because everybody has different resources they're working with, but everyone's resources are really stretched, and so that capacity isn't there to move animals around. Um, we're also seeing a really interesting shift that Organization-wide, we had a 44% increase in stray dogs coming in. And so that is uh, partly, we think, because we have been limiting the number of dogs that can be surrendered. And so people sometimes represent that the dog is a stray. But there also are just more animals unserved in the community. And so those animals have you know, a different path through our, through our organization and different needs than animals that come directly from their owner. Like I mentioned, animals are sitting around longer waiting to be adopted once they're ready. And so we are also seeing our shelters more full of animals and our 
facilities and our staff caring for more animals and having a higher workload. We, like a lot of other organizations, have um, struggled to hire and retain staff, which I'm sure you hear from a lot of businesses around, and the increase in workload doesn't help with that problem for us. We also are seeing a lot more complexity to the type of cases and the type of scenarios that the animals are coming to us from. So like I mentioned, our Colorado Humane Society has contracts with many of the counties. These blue counties represent where we have contracts. And we're seeing more frequent cases of animal cruelty and neglect with more animals per case. Um, and a, just a huge increase in the number of animals investigated and the number of animals that require impoundment from those investigations. We are also seeing that the medical and behavior needs of the animals who come into our shelters are more complex and more numerous than they were prior to the pandemic. And so that means that in their life, they haven't been provided with the veterinary care that they need, their owners have not had access to that veterinary care, and they also potentially haven't had the training resources, the socialization, and the other things that make them behaviorally healthy and sound. And so we are working hard to provide those resources, but it is also a unique challenge. And finally, as you can probably imagine, all of this costs us more to do. And so um, every year we see an increase in the cost to provide these services. And when the number of animals that we're serving is increasing as well as the cost, it represents a significant increase in the cost to get our work done. Um, this graphic just demonstrates overall the cost of doing business for the Buddy Center. And so this is something that we continue, you know, we've, we are primarily a fundraising organization. We are uh, not government funded, but through our contracts. So like the one we have with the town of Castle Rock. And we are always working to run as lean as we can. Um, and at the same time to keep our staff and our facilities and everything else in good shape. So this is another one of the complexities that we wrestle with and that we continue to work through as I am sure the town of Castle Rock also does. So that's it. That's an overview of the Buddy Center and a little bit about the Dumb Friends League. Questions or comments for Katie? Laura Katie. First, I just wanna say thank you for coming. I Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, these are things that are near and dear to my heart. Um, I've been part of animal rescue my whole life. I have cats. I have horses. I've had dogs. I've had all of it. And um, I just thought it was important for maybe the community to hear it, right? Because they don't know everything that goes into it. A lot of people forget we actually have the Buddy Center. Don't right? forget. Right. And so. I think it's important to kind of reiterate that we have the this service here and you know my call to action for the community is that if you can't adopt then donate your time if you can't donate your time you know give them 10 15 bucks a month or whatever you can afford to to help keep this program going because it, it's vitally important for the community and for the welfare of these animals so my question to you is what more can we do to help you yeah, thank you so much for asking. Um, we, of course, always need adopters. 
we always need volunteers um, and donors, and we are particularly interested in people advocating for pet ownership that comes through adoption. So the animals that are being served by the Dumb Friends League, and particularly the Buddy Center, are local animals, animals that came from members of this community who needed help or that were lost in this community, and so it's a great way to support the overall community well-being because it is kind of solving our own problems right here. So, you know, right now our community needs every resource we have. We're not bringing animals in from other states. We're not bringing animals in from outside of the areas that we serve because we are making sure to preserve our resources for the animals and the people in our communities. And I think um, we can just use as much community help in that way as possible. Thank you. Max Brooks? Well, the uh, Castle Rock News Press ran an article not too long ago about uh, the number of animals that were adoptable, you know, ready to go, and uh, that number was, was way up. Um, so do you, do you know off the top of your head, like, how many, how many animals you have ready for adoption? Because I think that number would probably surprise a lot of people. That's a great question. Today, in particular, um, we this is going to be a little bit of a rough estimate, but we probably have 120 dogs and 400 cats and maybe 90 small pets like hamsters, guinea pigs, bunnies across our three shelters. Yeah. So that's total number. And you'll accept food donations too, right? Yes, we accept many, many things donated. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, Mayor Portem Bracken and then Desi LaFleur. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you. Our, our best dude was adopted and in end of life with, with your organization, and um, and he was just our best dude. And and, and you guys are you know you guys are to, to thank for that. Thank you, Desi. Yeah, thank you for all that you do, and we'll continue to spread the word. Thank you so much, and thanks to the town of Castle Rock for being such a good partner and for supporting our work. And Katie, if at some point we can reconnect and, you know, we talked about maybe you guys having a booth or something at some of the events so we can keep the word out there. People can come, you know, talk to you about what you do, what you have available, you know, just keep you at the forefront of the community. Uh, you know, let me know what I can do to help facilitate that. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. Great yep. Thanks again, Katie. And, and please reach out if you need to. Okay. Thank you all so much. Thank you. So next up, I have council comments. Um, council didn't end, I would say we ended odd last time at the very least. Um, and I know that council member, uh, or sorry, Mayor Pro Tem Bracken has um, like a qu question or an ask. Thank you, Mayor. Yeah, so, um, so in the spirit of the, the last five meetings that have happened in the, in the, the public comment that has come uh, before council, which I, which I feel is very appropriate, and then the the public comment that is extended our meetings afterwards, um, and um, and I, and I think that what I'd like to do is make a motion to not, this isn't my motion, but I'd like to make a motion to end our meetings promptly at ten o'clock, pending the concept that. Uh, that we've gotten through our regular agenda. So if we get through our regular agenda uh, and then we have um, public comment after that, we can go up to our extended time. So uh, so for folks that don't know, currently uh, at 9.30 we can, uh, we can vote to extend the meeting with a simple majority. 
And then at 10 o'clock, uh, we can extend the meeting currently uh, with the, a unanimous vote. Um, and, and this has been, uh, th this has now become, we've only done this a handful of times. Um, and this is part of my, my motion, uh, or actually, Mayor, I'm gonna withdraw my comments. I'm not gonna make a motion, I'm gonna make a request. Um, because we, the mayor respectfully asked me for me to make a request for some motion in the email that I sent. Um, and what I'm looking to do and accomplish is that, is that council ends at 10 o'clock. Um, and, if, and if regular business has not finished, we can do a majority, sorry, excuse me, a, a unanimous vote to extend after that. Um, if there's time prior to that, then we do public comment. Because now the, the, the norm or the exception has now become the norm in terms of in terms of um, public comment at the end of the meeting. When we used to just have public comment at the beginning, and then we offered some consideration because there was a lot of folks that, that hadn't been heard. And what we're finding is, what I'm finding in particular, is that the same comments are, and, and the same people are coming time and time again and making those comments and, and really just extending our meeting beyond our, our our means and so, um, so what I'd like to do in lieu of a motion, which was my original intent in the, in the email that I sent my colleagues here to to review and discuss, uh, what I'd like to do is ask staff to come back with um, the instances where we have extended our meetings, um, the subject matters of of why they've been extended, um, were were there additional public comments or was it just mismanagement or regular agenda items that possibly ran over? Or did we just have too many items on our, on our agenda and items to, to finish? So um, I'd, like a, I'd like to make that recommendation over for staff to come back with us with the intent of, of stopping our meetings, uh, our council meetings at 10 o'clock with the ability to extend with the unanimous with our regular uh, meeting agenda uh, as in purview. Um, and any comments from town manager or legal staff concerning my inquiry? David. Well, the, the town, town law requires the town manager, myself, to put the agenda together. So if, if you're looking for instances where the agenda hasn't been put together well, you can look at me because that's, it's, it's my responsibility to try and make sure that you've got enough time and, and hopefully enough information to make those decisions. No, no, no offense. No, I understand. But you know, right, right now, um, as you indicated, Mayor Pro Tem, it requires um, just a simple majority to extend the meeting past 9.30. It then requires a unanimous council to extend it past 10 o'clock. And um, I was here as manager when um, those rules were, were changed. I want to say it's about 2016, 2017 is my recollection. Um, and when, and when we, we changed a few other um, agenda items, I'd have to go back and look and see exactly um, when that was. If, if your request is for us to go back and look at council minutes for the past two or three years and find out how many times we've had to extend the meeting, we can do that. It'll be reflected in, in, your, um, in, in your minutes. Um, the, I, I do know that usually public comment has been able to be absorbed within the first part of the meeting. It's been very infrequent that we've had public comment at the end of the meeting. 
Um, I, I just, I mean, it's maybe been maybe four or five times I, since I in, in my eight years that I've been here. So. If I may, I, I, I think, I think um, the instances that have been public comment after after our meeting and and maybe maybe a timestamp of and there probably there are probably a handful, um, but also in addition to that, the instances that that have extended our our regular meeting outside of outside of our our normal course of action. And just maybe a timestamp on that. So it, it doesn't have to be; could be very elementary. But I just would like to—I would like to make a decision based on the, the findings of staff. And 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 I'm not opposed to public comment at the end of our meeting, even though it's not—it's an exception. It's not the standard. And um, and be able to end on, a, on an appropriate time for, for all of our colleagues. Um, again, you know, the, my email said that I get up at five in the morning on Tuesdays, and and to end at ten at night is is laborious and perhaps a, a little extreme in some cases for um, for some of us. And I know the mayor wakes up at you know three and four in the morning owning a coffee shop and. Um, and when that time comes, it, it starts to maybe tax on people. So that, that's kind of where I'm coming from. No, I appreciate that. I got um, Councilmember Dietz next, but I guess I'm more curious about how it started. Like, why did we change in the first place? Um, was there a good reason for us to change? I mean, if there is a good reason, I'd love to hear it because um, it doesn't. Feel like a good good reason, but I like I would like to hear maybe the re, the rationale. So if you guys can come back with perhaps information that Mayor Portman back and and then like the, I think that one is why did we change or what was the the impetus for our change, and then two is uh I would like to maybe see what other towns and cities are doing as far as how late their meetings are. Do, do they go to a majority or is it a super majority? Is it a unanimous vote? Um, I don't know if that's okay with everybody else. Uh, Tim Dietz. Yeah, Mayor, thank you. Um, I, I just believe we we don't serve at our own convenience. We serve at the people's convenience. Um, we get to be a point where, personally, um, I like to see us switch that and go from unanimous to a majority at 10 o'clock to where that would allow for discussion in the future. If a council member, things happen, but if a council member can't be here, they're free to leave at any time they want. They don't need to be here. A council member, uh, Bauer, used to leave once in a while. Jason, he would leave before the 10 o'clock vote, so he didn't cause that problem. Things happen, you can't be here. Some mornings I'm lucky I get to bed by 3 a.m. Everybody has rough nights and rough work schedules. So I personally think the best decision would be to we make a motion here to just change it to a majority vote starting at 10 o'clock and every half hour after they're giving debate to where a council member can say why they can't stay here. But at least there would be discussion, not an abrupt stop when five people are waiting to talk. Thank you. No, that's a good point. What, do you mind um, for the staff to come back with like maybe a little information? Sure. Is that okay? I will, I will go forego that motion tonight. Okay. And wait for staff because it is on my mind. To no, bring it is up on mine too. I think I think the information would be good, um, both for Mayor Pro Tem Bracken and Councilmember Dietz, all the council and myself. Um, is that okay, Council? You won't need to vote on it. So it's good. Okay. I, I'm hearing consensus to okay. prepare staff report. Just so you know, it would any changes in that in that rule 
majority at 9.30, unanimous at 10 o'clock, that would require an ordinance change because it's in your town code. So it'd be a majority vote to, to change those rules. But it'd be by ordinance. So Okay, we'll, we'll have a staff report on that and you all can um, uh, give us direction accordingly. Thank you. Um, next I have uh, council comments. I'll start off. Um, we had a great Douglas County Library grand opening last week. Um, I think we got over twice as many as we thought we were going to get. It was fantastic. I have an architect friend who, who mentioned to me just the other day that it is his favorite building in town now. Um, I know that the building's a little controversial, but I think it's it's gorgeous. Um, hope everyone had a great Labor Day um, with their friends. Unfortunately, I had a labor on Labor Day, um, but uh, uh, it was you know my boss's fault. He's kind of a jerk. <laughs> For you that don't know, it's me. I'm the boss. Um, and as well as we have Art Fest coming up, and I hope everyone can attend and participate um, one of our great uh, events. Ryan Hollinshead. Thank you, Mayor. Um, yeah, I just want to comment. You know, I know we're going to discuss some of our, our new, um, or, or consider some new ordinances next week, but I um, did want to say congratulations on having a successful Pride Fest and the, and the fact that the goal of everybody that's talked in the last few controversial meetings um, has have all said they wanted a family-friendly Pride Fest to continue in, in Douglas County, and um, the organizers put that on, and I feel like that was really because of a conversation between the county and the organizers that dealt with the mistakes of the past and they worked together to move forward. Um, I don't feel like we influenced that happening. I think that was already taken care of by the county. I just wanna emphasize that again. But I do understand that some, some people in our community and on this council didn't think or didn't trust the county to get it done. And so we had a discussion, which is fine. That's what we should do. Um, we, we had some questions about our authority and our jurisdiction and I think those, all those are great questions. Um, I, I do get concerned when we're trying to have a conversation and be a civil community and talk to each other um, that we do be careful about making points and using rhetoric that maybe reflects the national debate or what national politicians use or cable news people. Um, when, we, when we start throwing really dangerous and hurtful words out in meetings, we do activate those extreme people in our community, right? The ones that get the spray can and go spray paint things and do things like that. And I think we need to be responsible as a council and a community, right? About let's have let's have a discussion. But when we start throwing out those 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 key words that get people's attention and they get a headline, and that's great, but that that's harmful at the end of the day, right? I mean that that's what we got to be careful of. So I just encourage us if we take on social issues in the future, which is very rare on this council, that we at least consider our language when we address the public. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Cavey. Thank you. Um, I just want to kind of echo what Councilmember Deet said in terms of the meeting. I know we're going to get some more details on it, but I do feel like I serve for the public. You guys elected me. And if you guys want to speak until 10.30 or 11, then that's your right to do so. And if I get three hours of sleep that night, then so be it, because we only have two council meetings a month. And over the summer, we only had one due to like holidays and other things. So this is your time to come talk to council. And I am all for it. I work for you. So I support a motion at some point in changing that ordinance. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Desi Floor. No comment tonight. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. 
Max Brooks. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Yeah, you had mentioned the grand opening of the library. It was uh, fantastic. I'd heard like 10,000 people. Yes. Uh, amazing. Uh, you know, it's a great partnership that we have with the library and something that um, that we've wanted to, to stress. Uh, but also, we want to make sure that people understand that there is a little bit of a process when it comes to naming the library. Um, we talked about it during the last meeting. Just a quick little reminder that uh, the library board was kind enough to place an agenda item at their next meeting, September 27th at 5.30, to discuss the naming of library. Right now, it is set to simply be Castle Rock Library. It has, for many years, been the Philip S. Miller, honoring the legacy of a, uh, of a long-standing businessman and benefactor to this town uh, that continues to this day to give money through the charitable trust to the library, as well as the town of Castle Rock, Douglas County, 4-H Club, uh, his, his contributions continue. Um, we signed a letter feeling that, uh, saying that uh, we felt like that name should continue to be honored, that legacy should be honored. September 27th will be your opportunity to come forward because at the end of the day, it's what you all feel, not necessarily what piece of paper we sign. So I would like very much for as many people to come out and to, if you are passionate about it, if you'd like to see the Philip S. Miller name retained, please come out September 27th and voice that opinion. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody at that back table. I don't know that there's anybody uh, at that back table that was not out for my open house in, uh, in, in my district. I see a couple of constituents here tonight as well. They have, um, they, ha yeah. <laughs> they have to be, you know, but it's fantastic, you know, for them to take that extra time. It might have been the ice cream. It probably was the ice cream. It probably was, you know. Um, yours is up next, by the way, September 20th, I think. They will all be there. But I want to thank them very much for the time and, and for, uh, for answering a lot of questions. Uh, the tickets were almost as hard to get as the CU Nebraska game tickets. Uh, it was packed. Uh, you know, it actually it was pretty well attended. Uh, and so I want to thank everybody from the district that came out. Um, and again, thank, uh, thank you for, uh, uh, and also thank you to Fire Station 153 for hosting it. Um, that was nice. They didn't have to do that. Um, and then lastly, I just want to say thank you to the, uh, to the county. Uh, if you're unaware, the county has been holding a listening tour for aging adults. This has been huge uh, to try to find, you know, kind of what, what's going on in the community. Uh, we had one here at Oakdale Apartments, trying to find out what the challenges are with the aging community as far as affordable housing, uh, some, other, some other aspects uh, that we need to address, not, not only here just within the town, but also within the county. Um, so that was, that was a well-attended event. And I want to thank the county for holding those because I think that is going to be exponentially more important as one. So thank you. Thank you, Max. Councilmember Dietz. Yes, thank you. Um, on another matter um, that helps the community, it has to do with our quarterly grant program. I think that things have doubled quite a bit over the time and that it's now time to increase that quarterly output from 2,000 to 4,000. I did send out an email, but must have been a couple months ago. But I do motion that we change the quarterly grant program from 2,000 to 4,000. Second. Thank you very much. I have a first by Councilmember Dietz, a second by Councilmember LaFleur. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Oh, sorry, David. Great minds think alike. That's already in the 2024 budget. Yes. So, same with ties. Uh, same time. Uh, but we, we do have, um, I think, Excellent. a couple of more quarters coming up. So we'll, we can make that we can make that adjustment. Well, we can do it for the remaining 
uh, grants here in 23, but we were going to, following your comment earlier in the general council discussion, sure. we, put the, we put that number in the 24 budget, but we hadn't made any changes for 23. So if you all voted accordingly, we'll do it in 23 and in 24. Thank you, David. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pertem Bracken? Sure. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passed unanimously. Thank you. Time is now reserved for members of the public to make a presentation. Oh, sorry. Mayor Pertem Bracken, I thought earlier, but that's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mayor. No, I just, I just didn't mean that. Snap <laughs> um, yeah, so just uh, yeah, just point of clarification. So, um, not 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 trying to um, dial back the uh, end of end of the meeting public comment, but um, did not want to cut into our regularly scheduled um, you know uh, agenda items, which have been cut short uh, recently by our last few meetings. So. Anyhow, uh, those are my comments concerning uh, the, the the change there, and uh, and and I do love to see everybody uh, here tonight, and I encourage you guys to come back and listen and, and have your voices heard. Um, just not past ten o'clock this time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now we are. Um, the time is reserved for members of the public to make a presentation to council on items or issues that are not on the agenda. As a general practice, council will not discuss or debate these items, nor will council make any decisions on the items presented during this time. Rather, we refer these to, to staff to follow up. Comments are limited to three minutes per speaker and limited to 30 minutes total. Residents will be given priority in the order they signed up, followed by non-residents representing Castle Rock business, businesses, and then non-residents and then businesses outside of Castle Rock as time permits. Castle Rock is also accepting public comments submitted written online at CRGov. Uh, crgov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be included in, in the public record. I have several people who are signed up to speak. When I call your name, please approach the podium and speak in a microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and vote into callers to press star three and please state your name, whether you are resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have three minutes to speak. Um, again, uh, I've done this the last couple few times. Uh, I think we all appreciate you guys being here. We also um, appreciate we respecting each other and their voice and their opinion um, in a respectful manner. Um, I'm not a big fan of hooting and hollering. I'm not a big fan of booze. Um, but I am a big fan of listening to each other and being very respectful. Uh, first up, I have Chad Cox. Thank you. Um, just first want to start out by introducing myself. My name is Chad. Um, I am a father of five, as you can see back there. Um, husband of 22 years, a prior Navy, and a new distinction that I have to add tonight, thanks to uh, Council Member uh, Mr. Dietz, um, that I never thought I would have to make a distinction for being a father, is I am also pro-protecting families. Um, he asked me that on the way in this morning or this evening, and it really surprised me because why would I not be pro-protecting pro families when I have five children, obviously. 
With that being said, I'm also part of the LGBT community. Something that you probably didn't assume that I fit into your bucket for. I can also, I can be a member of the LGBTQ community. I can have children, I can be married, and I can be pro-protecting family. Just so everybody's aware. I also want to talk a little bit about Pride Fest, so thank you, Councilmember Hollingshead, for bringing that up and acknowledging Pride Fest. Um, I too think it was very successful. Um, I did not plan on going, but to my surprise, I ended up there uh, before two o'clock in the afternoon with my family. Um, I want to thank Art and Michael and security for putting on a spectacular event and making sure that everybody there was safe. I'm disappointed in the fact that, not that there was protesters, that was assumed. We all knew there was going to be protesters. It wasn't a surprise to us. We would have been surprised had they not shown up. What was surprising to me was that they were there to protect our children, when in fact they missed the mark. And when I say miss the mark, I mean that word, I use that with intention. Because it was a mini-mart militia of Abel Shepherd attendees that heavily missed the mark on protecting children. There were few that tried to make, force their way into the children's area. There were, they had no belonging to be. And for what reason, I couldn't tell you, but I'm telling you now as a parent, I would have been pissed had they made themselves in and my children were there. But they did make other children there cry. They traumatized them. They scared them to death by merely standing and making a threatening presence for no other reason than to pass on their own ideology. They were not there to protect any family or any kids. And that is known. What I am disappointed about, and surprisingly so, was while I was there, I was making sure to keep my eyes and ears open because I don't trust this community. I'm fearful of being out in this community with my family, and as such, I don't attend many functions because of that. But Ms. Cavey, I heard, overheard you asking what the plan was to one of the members that actually ended up being please, at please the protest. Up, I'm sorry? Please finish up. Finishing. And so tonight, I respectfully ask for your resignation because you knowingly put my family and other families in harm's way knowing that many of those members were going to be carrying weapons and not knowing the Chad, plan. that's enough. Thank you. Thank you. Martha Richards. Good evening. Following on that idea of protect the children, it was all of the shirts. We've heard it yelled a lot here in this room. So I, my big problem is I'm not, being, I'm not able to find anybody who can really tell me, all right, which children? What are we protecting them from? I really want to know what it means. Because if we're trying to protect children, it certainly wasn't the children traumatized and crying at, at, at the Pride Fest while the modern day terrorists loomed over them. Is it the children dying by gunfire? The ones dying by cancer, our cars, our top three? killers of our kids here in the United States? Not those ones. How about the 9.3 million children living in food insecure homes? Or maybe the 13 million children living in poverty? Not those ones. Not those ones. Maybe it's the babies dying in rising infant mortality rates as our nation restricts our uh, access to health care. The 50% of LGBTQ kids who seriously considered suicide last year? 
The 28% who are homeless? Oh, definitely not those kids. Definitely not those kids. So I'm sick of all the lies. And America is really getting sick of them too. As of today, for the year, there have been 2,533 cases of sex crimes reported and documented against children in the United States. Almost all of those were perpetrated by someone that child knows. The great majority of those was perpetrated by people who are personnel of churches. Now, if you want to know how many drag queens there were in those numbers, that's zero. So are we protecting the zero children? who are being assaulted by the drag queens? Is that the point of all this? But you know what, I wanna focus on the future because I wanna get through this part, this ugly part of our country. And there is good news. As Castle Rock continues to grow, so will its diversity. It's getting younger and more progressive by the year. And Americans' commitment in general to religious dogma is waning. Across the nation, this era of ignorance and fear is ending. I mean, even Ken Buck, has supported the treatment of the January 6th insurgents from Colorado. So if we can hear good news from Ken Buck, I think we're moving someplace. And as those demographics continue to expand in Castle Rock, what candidates do you think those are going to be voting for? Are they gonna vote for the ones who crash Pride Fest, demanding to be let into the children's section when they don't have children there so that they can film them like a pack of predators? Are they gonna be the ones who direct, work with, directly with hate groups to make sure that they have entrance into our Pride Fest? Are they gonna be the ones who stay on the fence, giving us non-answers to hard questions? No, not those ones. Thank you. Thank you, Martha. Next, I have Michael Clarkson. Good evening, everyone. I am Michael Clarkson. I am a resident of Castle Rock, a member of the LGBTQ community, and I was chief of security at Pride Fest. I would rather be talking about our fuzzy friends like Katie, because I am a fuzzy friend, and that'd be a much more fun topic. But to uh, Councilman Hollingshead's point, the rhetoric, it created an an air that could have created a disaster at Pride Fest. I am so tired of lies, slander, and hate speech being treated as if they were equal to facts. They are not. From this very room, my community, the Pride community, has been called groomers, has been called a threat to children by groups who corrupt the meanings of the words freedom, liberty, and patriot. I am a veteran, I'm a third generation veteran. And I would fight and die for every person in this room, including the ones who called me a groomer. I'm reclaiming that word. A large group of these patriots showed up at Pride Fest wearing shirts that proclaimed protect the children. And they were led by Abel Shepard, a company whose primary job description is training people to be better at killing other people. So the terror that came with them standing up, no, they didn't have to be violent because these people train people to be violent. And it's well known. So the terror came with just them standing there among our children to instill terror. And protect them from what? 
The LGBTQ community are not groomers. That pernicious lie has been around since before my grandfather landed at Normandy to fight those who created it. The direct implication of their shirts, protect the children, means that we are being accused of being groomers, of being a threat to children. Nothing could be farther from the truth. And even though they did not bring violence to that event that day, that propaganda, that speech brings violence. See also Club Q and countless other events where the finger that pulled the trigger was inspired by that exact rhetoric. So when they showed up and they interspersed themselves among the crowd, they used our children as human shields to prevent us from removing them from the event. Abel Shepard and the groups that, that spout this hate speech attempted to incite violence, and it was through the police and our community standing down that we prevented it. If we're going to build bridges, we have to stop with the lies. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Angela Thomas. My name is Angela Thomas, and I am a resident of Castle Rock. I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak. A group of about 65 anti-LGBTQ extremists disrupted the family-friendly Pride Fest at the Douglas County Fairgrounds. Yet another outward sign of the anti-LGBTQ hate sweeping this community, state, and country. This local group, referred to by Commissioner Teal as a militia, is now trying to distance themselves and lying about their role in the organization of this event. This show of hate by local extremists is not an isolated incident. Currently, there are several Douglas County right-wing organizations that espouse hateful ideologies in an attempt to divide the community and force their narrow-minded perspectives on the rest of us. Their ugly rhetoric and actions show too frequently and have spread to our local institutions and government. I'll take some words from Kyle Clark. He said this, and I completely agree with him. The parents who say they don't want to co-parent co with the government and public schools have an option to uh, private schools or homeschooling. So what's the option for parents in Douglas County who don't want to co-parent with conservative protesters? These extremists claimed that they were there to protect the children. You've heard that before. In fact, they showed up to intimidate the families as people gathered to accept and celebrate the LGBT community. I heard someone who had done a video, I'll leave her name out, who said, well, there wasn't any nudity, but it was lame. Well, we, we kept it family friendly, and if you want to believe it was lame, I thought it was a great presentation. Miss Shirley saying, don't rain on my parade, and that's what we want, is to stop people from raining on our parade. I have no issue with people speaking up who say, I don't agree with this, but when you stand and intimidate children and the LGBTQ community by 
standing over them and then you think you don't leave when you're asked to leave. There's an ordinance in the county that you can't legally stop an illegal uh, event. Those people should all be charged under that ordinance. We, I, stand with the Pride Fest organizers in welcoming and supporting everyone to come as they are, embrace their true selves, and feel love and acceptance. I will continue to stand with all Americans, regardless of differences, to protect the interests of everyone, not just with those whom, I, whom we agree. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. Brooke Bernstein. Hi, I'm Brooke Bernstein. I volunteered all day and evening at Pride Fest, and it was a huge success, and thank you for recognizing that, council member. Um, the big news as promised over and over again was the drag show was G-rated. So I challenge those council members and members of the community who so stridently attacked Pride Fest, attacked drag, and attacked Castle Rock Pride over the past months to publicly admit that they were wrong. Maybe even apologize to the Castle Rock Pride board. And instead of continuing to attack Castle Rock Pride, congratulate and thank them for putting on such a lovely, family-friendly event for our community. Unfortunately, as people have said, protesters showed up intent on intimidating attendees. First, protesters from Patriot Front, the Rocky Mountain Active Club, and the Proud Boys, all well-known white nationalist, anti-Semitic hate groups. Is this really what Castle Rock and Douglas County want to be known for, to be in the media for? I wonder, are there any of the anti-Pride Fest pro-book-banning people in attendance here today happy and proud that these kinds of hate groups showed up? If not, why aren't you speaking up today and expressing your concern that these dangerous groups were at this event with lots of children? Aren't you concerned with protecting the safety and well-being of all children? Second, the Jimmy Graham Abel Shepherd protesters. As they said before, they had their white t-shirt uniforms gathering in mass, hovering over people to, as stated in Jimmy's email, model righteous masculinity and strength to all attendees, especially children. And while noting that he wouldn't be armed, he continued, I don't need a gun to be powerful and dangerous. I was there, I was far more than uncomfortable and highly concerned. It did not feel peaceful, it felt threatening, it was designed to be feeling threatening. It scared children. Children were crying. It was triggering to teens and adults. Some teens left, but given the protesters inside and outside the venue, they no longer felt safe to stay in Castle Rock, and they had took refuge in other towns. Do we want that? It created a tinderbox. One person, if one person had acted out, there was not enough sheriff officers to handle what could have ensued and people would have been hurt. What the children and teens, teens in attendance actually needed was to be protected from the self-righteous, self-proclaimed Christian protesters professing a goal to protect the children but actually harming them. So I have one more challenge. Which town council members and those in the audience who so vehemently attacked Pride Fest is willing to stand up publicly, acknowledging that the Jimmy Graham Abel Shepherd protest was harmful to children, that it actually harmed children? and it put the children and other members of the community at high risk for physical harm. Thank you, um, thank you Julie. I have Art, uh, Kirk can. I'm sorry about Art, I butchered your last name. No worries. 
I'm Mark Kirkazian, co-chair of the Douglas County Pride Fest, and I'm here to report back. Douglas County Pride Fest 2023 is in the books. It was successful in many ways. I correct myself, it was successful in every way. There was no nudity, there was no inappropriate dance moves or lyrics. It met all the criteria of family-friendly events and respected and complied with all ordinance and zoning laws. We went above and beyond to demonstrate that we hold the same values in protecting our community. And yet, we were and still are the targets of lies, hatreds, and misrepresentations. We have endured several attempts to interfere with our or cancel our festival, including the possible mishandling of our application for alcohol special events by town personnel. Castle Rock Pride, the organizers of Douglas County Pride Fest, are proud to have offered our queer community a family-friendly festival that celebrated the unique individuals within us, yet heartbroken at the same time that our children and community experienced bigotry and hatred firsthand at our event. This event is designed to create a safe and welcoming place for our community. Jimmy Graham and the men from Abel Shepherd disrupted and undermined that message with, the sh with their show, in their own words, of righteous masculinity. We have proof that they were specifically targeting children that they were there. What is worse is they did it in the name of God and Jesus Christ. We are thankful that there was no physical violence, but make no mistake, children were harmed by this display of hate and bigotry. It is exactly the cause for higher suicide rates among LGBTQ youth. The fairground property was vandalized, children were frightened and crying, families were traumatized. My friends and others left fearing for their safety and it was under the guidance of our own security leadership in conjunction with the Douglas County Sheriff's Department that gave instructions do not escalate, knowing children were inches away from these men at their feet. It is the hateful rhetoric bigoted rhetoric and lies from groups and individuals, including Councilman Dietz and Councilman Cavey, who asked people to pray for her while she was at our event that brought multiple white supremacy groups uh, along with the fear and intimidation tactics to the soil of Castle Rock and Douglas County, putting our law enforcement officers at risk. We call out the hypocrisy of all of those who spent the last year spreading lies and accusations about our community. You have defamed our character, and I cannot repeat this enough times. Most importantly, you have brought harm and injury to the children you claim to want to protect, to the children of Castle Rock. Where were you when children were actually harmed this year? Not by the actions of a drag queen, but by the actions of fellow citizens in Douglas County. These, along with dozens, maybe hundreds of posts and comments, continue to be directed at our community. They spin their rhetoric to avoid taking responsibility for their actions and justifying hate. They have shown themselves for who they truly are. We, we are the only ones that are truly protecting children. We will not accept the false narrative from you, them, anyone else, anymore, and I hope you do not either. I would request that you also review, when you do your review, you look for hate crime language. I would, would request you also, in your review of laws and zoning things, I would request you also review for the presence of and the inclusion of hate crime language and penalties. Also adding Art, ordinance to you. prevent the disruption of lawfully presented events, whether they be in the town Bless of Castle Rock or Douglas County. Thank you very much. Thank you. Miranda Stewart. Good evening. I come to you as a guest, as a visitor. Um, I am a parent. I am a professional. I am a member of the LGBTQ community. 
I came to Castle Rock Pride with my family. And on the one hand, I want to congratulate the, the committee that put that pride together for the absolute most family-friendly, child-appropriate, safe pride that I could imagine. It is the, the most family-friendly pride event I have been to, other than the intimidation and the threatening behavior of the protesters who scared me and my child. Sitting in that crowd, it felt like a tinderbox of violence about to erupt. I think the queer community knew that we had to walk the line perfectly and hold our tempers perfectly because if we had misstepped, it would have ignited a very dangerous situation. I, and I want to talk to you about the importance of these events. I don't know. If you know what it's like to stay up all night in an emergency room with a suicidal LGBTQ child, I do. And then see that child attend a pride event and see them come back to life, to see joy, to see hope, to see them thriving, knowing that they're accepted, that they're loved, that they're okay. That is why we are there. And I ask you to work to make next year's Castle or Douglas County Pride safer for us. Please put laws and ordinances in place that, that put repercussions for people who hurt us like that. Please, the laws that you have, I don't think were enforced. Those folks, it's been said, were breaking the law. I felt like the police were pandering to them. I really don't think the police used the power that they had to stop that protest. That's what I have to say. Thank you. Next, I have Pasha Ripley. Guess whose side I'm on. <laughs> I'm Pasha Ripley. I'm the co-founder of the Parasol Patrol. We were asked by the uh, Pride event to come and help them volunteer to shield children. As we do, we shield children from protesters at LGBTQIA plus and BIPOC events. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We started here in Colorado, but sadly we've had to go national because of all the hate and the rhetoric and the crimes and the murders that are being committed against queer people just for being themselves. We knew there were gonna be protesters. We had several safety meetings about what that was going to look like and what was going to happen. You said, Jesus loves you and so do we. We go to these events to show these kids that we love them not in spite of who they are, 
but because of who they are. The Trevor Project said last year, last year, 2022, 45% of LGBTQI plus youth seriously contemplated suicide. At this Pride event, they saw people that they're supposed to trust, people that were supposed to be there to keep them safe. Instead, allow these people in to intimidate, threaten, and scare them. And yes, there were several children crying. We've gotten so many messages. We put one on our Parasol Patrol page. I highly recommend you go to that page and read the words from parents that were at that event. And shame on those protesters for coming in there saying that they're going to protect children and instead intimidate and terrorize them. I got a message today from someone who said that their kid didn't want to talk to their counselor at school, in part because people they're supposed to trust, that trust is betrayed. These kids growing up, being who they are, with the higher rate of suicide within our community, how are they supposed to trust adults? These are long-term repercussions. From grown-ups, they're supposed to protect them, instead throwing them to the wolves. We are not trying to turn your kids gay. We're trying to keep the gay kids alive. And shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. For claiming to protect children and instead traumatizing them. That makes you the perpetrators of harm to these children. Thank you, Pasha. Thank you. <coughs> I have no one else on to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium, speak your microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone in college with press star three and please state your name, whether you're a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have three minutes to speak. Yes, please approach. Hi, I was I, I was signed up to speak and confirm. So oh, I didn't see it. I'm sorry. I, it's okay. Everything's crossed off. It's crossed off. <laughs> okay, sorry. Hi. Good evening, and thank you for your time and allowing the community to speak tonight. My name is Julie Watkins, and I'm a Castle Rock resident <clears throat> with a cold, sorry. And tonight I'm speaking on behalf of the Parasol Patrol. Parasol Patrol, as you just heard, is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that shields children and young people from protesters at LGBTQIA and BIPOC events. We've stood against hate groups like the Proud Boys, Patriot Front, Blood Tribe, and Westboro Baptist Church, to name a few. We use umbrellas to create a visual barrier while we walk children and their families past the signs and vitriolic jeers often shouted at them through bullhorns by adults. Parasol Patrol has volunteered at Douglas County Pride Fest since it started in 2019, and we are honored to do so. Leading up to this year's event, we collaborated with law enforcement, event staff, and other volunteers through several planning meetings focused on security. Unfortunately, mistakes were made on event day by some individuals, leading to a sense of insecurity among children and families. However, the primary responsibility for these incidents lies with the protesters themselves. The night before Pride Fest, surveillance video captured an individual, reportedly a middle-aged woman known to a county commissioner, spray painting homophobic slurs across the grounds. 
On event day, Douglas County Pride Fest, a fun and family-friendly celebration, was marred by multiple individuals and groups who invaded what should have been a safe space for the LGBTQI community. Outside the event gates, armed members of hate groups wore masks, wielded signs, and bullhorns, which violated town sound ordinances and harassed those entering and exiting the fairgrounds. Inside, just before the family-friendly drag show was set to start, Close to 100 protesters occupy the stage area, violating fire codes by obstructing aisles and impeding the movement of families. This organized protest in the name of protecting the children clearly did not apply to the children who were actually there, many of whom were terrified and traumatized. When children witnessed law enforcement, elected officials, and other trusted adults allowing this intimidating and threatening behavior to persist, they may become reluctant to confide in those same adults. While some called Dugco Pride Fest a win because there was no physical violence and everyone made it home safely, it's important that we recognize that the absence of physical assault sets an unacceptably low standard for success. Hate crimes were committed, and they should be thoroughly investigated and prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Both the town and the county should conduct an in-depth analysis of the mistakes made to prevent their recurrence in the future. Individuals in positions of power who allowed protesters to temporarily seize control of event areas should also be held accountable. The message conveyed is that Castle Rock and Douglas County are not places that embrace diversity and acceptance and instead are havens for intolerance and bigotry. We all still have much to learn. Let's establish independent accountability measures to explore avenues for improvement and collaborate to ensure that next year's event is a genuine celebration without any distractions. We can and should strive for better. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, Julie, I apologize for skipping over you. <laughs> next, we'll have the town manager's report. And again, thanks for everybody for coming on tonight. Mayor and Council, I've uh, got several items. Um, first up is a review of some calendar items. Again, moving into um, additional open houses, we've got Councilmember Lafleur's on the 20th, Councilmember Dietz on the on the 26th. Um, and then in October, um, Councilmember Hollingshead and Bracken are on October the 24th, and Councilmember Cavey on October the 30th, and then you all should have your on your calendar the November 14th uh, Boarding Commission Appreciation Event. Um, in the next slide, got a number of uh, neighborhood meetings uh, to point to. Um, just read that um, at your at your leisure as well, just so that you're aware of those potential neighborhood meetings. And then the next slide just hits some of the different events here as we move into the fall. We've got a um, art fest, an October fest, and uh, a number of uh, uh, parks department events as well. Um, next, I'm going to call on uh, Trish Mueller to uh, introduce. Um, our auditing firm that performed the uh, 2022 uh, audit and uh, your audit committee met uh, previously to uh, ask some additional questions um, and have an opportunity to talk to the, uh, the auditor and um, uh, this evening you're, you're uh, receiving the presentation for the 2022 audit. Good evening, Mayor and Council. 
I'm very excited to be here this evening to present to you the audit of the 2022 financial statements. Um, before I go further, I do want to express my gratitude to Michelle Schrote. Michelle is our assistant director of finance. She handles the business of doing the business. So she's over accounting and operations. And she has done just a phenomenal job this year. We're, we're a very complicated organization with some of the transactions that we have. And kudos to her and her team for all that they do. Uh, secondarily, I would like to thank Marcy Arden. Marcy is the managing director with Forvis, and she has um, been on our audit, I believe, five years now. And um, they do a great job assisting us with any technical issues that we uh, that we come across. And she still answers her phone when we call. So <laughs> something's got to be good about that. So I am going to turn it over to Marcy to give you a summary, a high-level summary of our audit this year. Okay. Thank you, Trish. Yeah. So just to give you guys a brief overview of what an audit is, so the audit, we do not, well, we look at the financials, we read the financials, we do not test 100% of every transaction that is in the financials. Um, we audit enough to provide the opinion that the financials are materially correct. So when you're looking at our audit opinion, you can have faith that the financial statements are materially stated. Um, we also look at the disclosures, make sure everything that is supposed to be disclosed is disclosed. And then that is over the financial statements. We also do an audit of the federal funding that the town receives. And so there we're also looking to see that the town has materially complied with the requirements of the federal programs. So when we do an audit, this basically details out what we're doing. We're expressing opinions on the financial statements. We issue a report on your internal controls over financial reporting and compliance and other matters. Um, so that's just essentially um, whether the internal controls are operating effectively. And then we do a report on compliance for the major federal programs and on the schedule of expenditures of federal awards. And then we have certain communications that we make to council. So the results of the audit we issued on modified or clean opinions on the financial statements. That is the best opinion that you can get. We had no findings which are required to be communicated to you all. Um, we had no audit adjustments and we did have one immaterial past adjustment and what that essentially means is we found one thing that should have been recorded but it was not recorded but we do not feel that it needs to be recorded. Um, it, it would not mislead the users of the financials. In regards to the federal audit, um, we have no items reported or to report there either. We looked at two major programs. We looked at the BUILT grant, which is essentially your Crystal Valley Interchange project. And then we looked at the state and local fiscal recovery funds, and those are your two road widening projects. So a lot of transportation projects. Um, we did do an extended presentation to the audit committee. Um, and before we go into the graphical presentation, I did want to thank Trish and her staff for all their assistance. Um, they are very good to work with and they answer all of our questions and provide us all the information we ask for, which is quite a lot. <laughs> um, but one of the things we know, when you look at the financial report of the town, it's 250 pages. It's pretty hard to wrap your head around. So what we like to do is provide some 
high level things to focus on. And a couple of those areas are looking at your expenses and revenues and from the governmental activities perspective, I just wanna point out that in this slide, your general revenues are your tax revenues. So you can see that those tax revenues basically offset your expenses on the governmental activities. And then the other side, when you look at the business type activities, those are like a for-profit business. So you wanna make sure your revenues are exceeding your expenses in those funds. And you can tell graphically that you guys are far exceeding. Well, other than the non-major enterprise funds, you guys are um, making money in those. The other area that is pretty, um, a big area of most governmental entities is the capital assets. Um, and so just showing you how much you have in capital assets and the different types of assets like land, infrastructure, um, just puts it there graphically. That's where the bulk of the expenses go besides salaries. And then outstanding debt, um, just wanna point out the town does not have any general obligation debt. You can see the different types of debt on the bottom circle. And you'll see that the debt did increase this year, but that was because of the $25 million issuance in the water fund. With that, that is my presentation. And I can turn it over to Trish, unless you guys have any questions. Just a couple quick comments. If, if there's anything you take from this, other than you really should read that 250-page document that's attached to the agenda, um, a couple things. Clean opinion. Uh, everything looked good. It is materially stated the way it should be stated. So that then brings me to the second takeaway item. We present to you on a quarterly basis. We give you an idea where our revenues are, if we're having any budgetary concerns, anything like that. So the second takeaway is really you, you, what you see is what you get. Uh, Marcy and her team don't come in and, you know, oh my goodness, you need to make all of these adjusting journal entries. Uh, Michelle and her team work really, really hard to implement all the technical guidance and get the statements where they need to be. So uh, please understand what you see on a quarterly basis is the real deal. Um, if you choose not to read that 250-page document, I would um, recommend that you take a look at what we call the popular annual financial report. It's about an 11 or 12-page document, and it just summarizes by strategic priority, where did we end up 2022? So that concludes our presentation. Mayor, I hand it back to you. Thank you. Questions for either? Uh, I want to say, one, thank you very much. Um, you know, so as, um, um, I, I to say thank you, and, and I, uh, I know that um, I think it's my fourth or fifth time doing it now, and I'm finally starting to really catch on, so thanks for walking me through it. I'm a slow learner. Um, but myself and Mayor Pro Tem Bracken were there, and I do appreciate you guys walking us through that. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Yeah, the, the audit committee and, and taking the time to walk us through line by line is uh, very laborious and, and transparent, but at the same time, very appreciated that at least we we didn't have any concerns to, to raise on to the rest of council. So I appreciate that time and, um, and effort in, in long hours. Thank you. Yeah, thanks again, and I appreciate you uh, showing me the money. <laughs>
David? <laughs> um, our next item is the second quarter financial review that uh, Trish and Pete and Michelle have put together. Um, it's, it's timely now that we have the audit and the audit, auditor's determination that the financial statements that you see are, uh, are appropriate and have been verified. We're now looking at the second quarter financial review. In the next slide, this is just a reminder that not all of our money is created or used equally. Um, the sales tax that you see there on the right side is obviously our big funder of um, our public safety departments and our street maintenance work. Um, but similarly, we don't use that for the items there in the middle in regards to water or the operation of the golf course. Every once in a while people will say, well, why don't you use the golf course money to do such and such? The golf course money um, exists to operate the golf course. It's not used for anything else and it doesn't receive any tax dollars. Similarly, the water department doesn't receive any uh, tax dollars. There on the left, you see impact fees and uh, money that we collect for um, development, we don't use and we cannot use under Colorado law impact fee revenue to pay for police officers and firefighters. Um, it has to be uh, something other than an, than an impact fee. So that just is a reminder, it's good it's not only for council but hopefully the general public to appreciate that not all of our money is created or can be spent um, the, the same. The next slide is really in a, in a very abbreviated version of where we are basically halfway through the 2023 uh, budget. We had uh, budgeted a sales tax increase of 6%. We're seeing about 3%. Um, the, the larger expenditures that we were seeing last year are not being substantially grown on um, uh, this year. We're up for this year, but we're not up as much as we had planned, so we are looking at some vacancy savings um, and some other things in order to bring the budget um, in line with uh, expected revenue. Significantly, development revenue is down. Um, we're down um, a number uh, in regards to uh, our building permits. So that means that that impact fee revenue that you saw on the previous slide will be down. Um, so uh, we're not gonna get as many building permits as we had originally budgeted for the 23 budget, um, and we'll talk just a second here about 24. Similarly, in the, in the water department, uh, their water funds, and, and Mark and his water department have four different funds. The water uh, fund is down about 5% because uh, we're not having to irrigate as much uh, given the, the, the rains that we have uh, received. I just got back from the Pacific Northwest We've received more rain this year in Castle Rock than Seattle has. Now, you wouldn't note that by my wife and I's vacation there because it did rain, um, kind of drizzled. They called it rain, it was drizzle. Um, but the point is is that w with uh, the, the moist uh, year so far, we're not having to irrigate as much. So that's good on the conservation side. Um, it, it does strain us a little bit on revenue, but Mark and his team are adjusting ex, um, expenditures to the revenue that's gonna be uh, coming in. Significantly, Council, um, here in September, I'm gonna be asking an opportunity to have individual meetings with you to go through the draft 2024 budget. 
Councilmember Dietz already did the spoiler alert. One of the items is an increase in the council community grant program that had been mentioned earlier by council, similar to the, it's the same dollar amount that you indicated, council member. But it's got um, a number of, of adjustments um, in the budget, but uh, most importantly, we're trying to make the, the top priorities of, uh, of council uh, reflected in the budget. Um, continued increased staffing in the police department, continued increased staffing in the, in, in the fire department. Um, we are looking at putting some fund balance into open space acquisition. You're gonna talk a little bit about that here um, on a, a later agenda item this evening. Again, we're trying to make the budget reflect what we understand council's uh, goals are. Here in a little bit of a limited uh, period because we're not seeing sales tax be as robust as it was, and we're definitely not seeing development related fees be what they were uh, before as well. So that's kind of, some of the highlights, but we'll get into a lot more specifics when we talk to you about that. And then on some of your future agendas, we will then be introducing the budget and then asking you to adopt it on first and second reading. We'll be talking about property tax. We have our property tax revenue will only grow five and a half percent. Our mill levy will go down. It will be below one mill once it finally gets um, uh, uh, decided what the assessed valuation is after all of the appeals. So um, we'll be talking about all of that um, and we'll be talking about the 2022 Tabor uh, revenue, how it's been spent um, and how it's being allocated. Um, so there'll be a number of those items as well. Um, happy to respond to any general questions. You see the report, you see the actual statements in your um, agenda packets. I'll be happy to respond to any questions and Trish is here as well. Any questions for questions. David or Trish? Thank you, David. That's that's all I have on tonight's uh, manager's report. Thank you. Moving on to the town attorney's report. Uh, no report tonight, Mayor. Thank you. Moving on to the acceptance of the agenda. There are no changes, additions, or deletions to the agenda. A motion to accept the agenda as presented will be accepted. So moved. Dave. David. I, I just wanted to point out we added a proclamation that the police department requested here, I think we added it like about an hour before you got here this evening. So you'll, you'll, you'll see that listed as a uh, co-responders mental health um, proclamation that we'll have, but they wanted it on the next meeting. We have a policy that you all see proclamations ahead of time. It's obviously from the police department. We don't think it's controversial, but I just wanted to point that out before you accept the agenda. No, I appreciate that. And for, for anybody who wants to look at it right away before I, I speak it, it's number 12 on the agenda. Second. I have a first by Mayor Poten Brack and a second by Des LaFleur. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Poten Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Moving on to the consent calendar. These items are generally routine in nature and have been previously reviewed by town council and we voted on a single motion without discussion. Any member of town council may remove an item from the consent calendar. Number eight, um, ordinance 2023-19, ordinance authorizing the exercise exercise of the town's powers of an imminent domain to acquire certain real property interests necessary for Fifth Street widening project. 
number nine, ordinance 2023-20, orders authorizing the ex exercise of the town's powers of eminent domain and acquire certain real property interests necessary for East Plum Creek and Sellers Goats Confluence project. Number 10, Ordinance 2023-21, Ordinance authorizing the exercise of the town's powers of eminent domain to acquire certain real property and interests necessary Plum Creek and Ruder Hess Reservoir Pipeline Project. Number 11, Resolution 2023-107, Resolution ratifying the Master Services and Purchase Agreement of the First Amendment, thereto the Ex-Con Enterprise, Inc., and approving the 2023 invoice for the annual maintenance costs and cameras. Number 12, Proclamation 2023-10, Proclamation Honoring Castle Rock Mental Health Co-Responders and Crisis Clinicians. And number 13, Minutes 2023-16, Minutes August 16th, sorry, August 15th, 2023, Town Council Meeting, Alex with a motion. So moved. Second. First by Member Hertzman Bracken, second by Desla LaFleur. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Councilmember Brooks, did you want to vote on the consent calendar? Aye. Thank you. <laughs> Councilmember Deach? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray. Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Moving on to quasi-judicial hearings, the following item will be due process hearing required under Colorado law in order to afford all parties due process under law. Town council members must be fair and impartial in deciding whether applications should be approved, approved with conditions, or denied. In making a determination, each council member must consider for the record, which includes planning commission recommendation, staff recommendation, applicant presentation, public comment, presented during or before the hearing and written comments be offered uh, before the hearing. Under, town, under law, town council must evaluate proposed based solely on record and, and criteria established under municipal code, which are highlighted in the staff report. It is important that each council member remain objective and capable of considering information offered into the record during the hearing. If any council member believes that he or she is incapable of evaluating and voting on an application consistent with these due process requirements, please describe the situation and recuse yourself from further participation. Does any council member have a conflict of interest or something he or she would like to discuss and disclose prior to the proceeding? Madam Clerk, has the public uh, hearing been properly noticed under applicable regulations for those types of land use hearings? Mayor Gray, yes it has. Thank you. The council has to hear the applicant, the public, and, and staff. Public comments will be taken unlimited to four minutes per speaker. Council is also accepting written comments submitted online at cr.gov.com backslash, sorry, cr.gov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be entered into the record. Number 14. On the agenda 2023-108, resolution finding the petition annexation submitted by a town of Castle Rock in substantial compliance with Article 2, Section 301B of the Colorado Constitution and Section 31-12-107 CRS and um, set at a date, time, and place for the hearing prescribed under Section 31-12-108 CRS to be determined if the subject property is eligible for annexation under Article 2, Section 30 of the Colorado Constitution and Sections 31-12-104 and 31-12-105 CRS, Crowfoot Valley Road Annexation. Tara. Good evening, Mayor and Council. 
Um, the subject uh, properties tonight include four parcels that are part of the Crowfoot Valley Road right-of-way. Um, in this case, for this annexation petition, uh, the town, we are the owner of these parcels, and so we are also acting as the applicant. So this is part of our um, efforts to fill in jurisdictional gaps where they exist um, along the town. Uh, Crowfoot Valley Road in this area, you can see north and west of the property, um, the residential neighborhoods, um, that I would say are not screened back, that aren't grayed out, that's all within the incorporated town limits of Castle Rock. Uh, the properties you see to the south and east uh, in the grayed out area is unincorporated Douglas County, that neighborhood's also referred to as McCanta. And then to the north um, in unincorporated, well I guess it does say unincorporated Douglas County, there my apologies, that's technically city of Castle Pines right along that edge. Um, but these uh, four parcels are really just to clean up the right of way ownership, um, to match the ownership, which is already the town, with the jurisdiction. Uh, you can see that it's just extending up to our uh, eastern boundary um, at the Sapphire Point neighborhood. So those are the, the four parcels, um, and the why is just, again, as I mentioned, to do some cleanup in jurisdiction, um, also make sure our police uh, coverage and um, agreements between the sheriff and the, the town's police enforcement are consistent on the stretch of Crowfoot. Moving off, obviously, to the north and east is all uh, in unincorporated Douglas County. So state of Colorado annexation process is very regulated. Uh, for the first two steps, they're governed by the Colorado state statute. Uh, tonight, we are having our substantial compliance hearing. So at this point, we are only determining if the application uh, requirements were met. So is the petition accurate and is it complete? There'll be future um, public hearings where we determine whether it's eligible and whether they should be annexed into the town jurisdiction. Uh, some of the substantial compliant requirements you see on the screen here, uh, they include that the petition must be signed by more than 50% of the owners uh, of the property as well as more than 50% of the land of the town um, is the owner. The county did own one of the parcels until recently and deeded that over to the town. Uh, the petition was signed within 180 days of being filed with the clerk. The petition and map are complete and contain the appropriate information required by the state and they have been filed with the town clerk's office. So in summary, uh, staff finds that this petition does comply with all of the various requirements um, of the state's annexation process, and we recommend approval of the resolution tonight for substantial compliance. As a part of that, we also need to set the eligibility hearing date, uh, which we are proposing as Tuesday, October 17th, 2023. I have some motions for your consideration, and I'm happy to answer any questions at this time. Any questions for Tara? Laura Cavey. Hey Tara, sorry I was got caught off guard on another issue. Um, is this just for the Crowfoot Valley widening piece? It, it's uh, the right of way all right. in a portion of that area, right? Okay. So some of it, um, some of it's already in the town's boundary. These four parcels are not. Um, it doesn't prohibit or prevent the widening project, but we do like to clean up the ownership parcels, especially when we're doing projects. Cool. Thank you. And I just want to double check that we are doing number one of substantial compliance. We're not voting on anything else yet. Right. We are just confirming that the application is complete and checks all of the various boxes required by the state under their requirements. Thank you. Any more questions for, for staff or Tara? 
Seeing none, I have no one signed up to speak. If anyone wishes to speak on the subject, please approach the podium. And speaking of microphones, online users may use their raise your hand feature and phone and callers and press star three. And please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we're going to act to town council for a possible motion and discussion. I move to approve the resolution as introduced. Second. I have a first by Max Brooks, a second by Laura Cavey. Any further discussion? Roll call vote. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz. Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Yes. Mayor Gray. Yes. Motion passes unanimously. David. Mayor, I made a mistake. Um, item 11 needed to be a public hearing item to allow for Councilmember Cavey to recuse herself. So what we need to do is we need to do two separate motions. We need to have a motion to reconsider item 11, which is the Axon Enterprise uh, purchase and maintenance costs. And then if that reconsideration motion passes, we then need to do another motion to approve it. You recuse yourself on both of them. There isn't a separate motion needed to you know, undo the, the consent calendar as presented. You're just you're just reconsidering eleven. Okay. I move to approve for uh, Re reconsider, reconsider item number eleven. Item number eleven. Second. I have a first by Max Brooks, a second by Councilmember Dietz. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Oh, hang on just a second. Um. That took me a second to figure out how to do this on the computer. Okay, um, Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Oh, sorry, you're abstaining, correct? Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Deeds? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes 6-0. And then a motion to approve item 11? Yes, please. So moved. Second. First by Max Brooks, and second by Tim Dietz. Any further discussion? Roll call vote. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes 6-0. David, should um, Councilmember Cavia disclose why she recused herself or not? That's her choice. Okay. I can. Sure. So um, Axon, who is part of this uh, resolution, um, they are a partner of mine at Verizon. And so I work with them directly, and it would be a conflict of interest for me to vote on this. Thank you. So we're now to item 15, Mayor. Yeah, a public comment will be taken on items are limited to four minutes per speaker. Council will be also to accept comments submitted written online at crgov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be included in public record. Number 15, uh, direction discussion on 2023-25, Douglas County School District Mill Levy Override and Bond Initiatives. Mayor and Council, at your last meeting, you directed that we place this item back on your agenda for discussion and direction. Your packet contains the information that the Douglas County School District provided us when they made their presentation in regards to the um, mill levy and bond uh, initiatives. 
We also included the resolution that council adopted last year um, supporting the passage of the mill levy override in, in the bond initiatives. And staff will be happy to take any direction that you uh, wanna provide. Um, if you don't wanna proceed, you don't, there's no requirement to. If you do, we've got a, a motion um, on the next slide to, to direct us. So um, you'll work your will and direct us accordingly. Thank you. Any uh, questions for staff? Seeing none, I have no one's time to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in a microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature. And following college express star three, please state your name, whether you're a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll back to town council for a potential motion and discussion. Mayor, I move to direct staff to prepare a resolution supporting Douglas County School District Mill Levy override and bond initiatives for council consideration at the September 19th, 2023 council meeting. Second. I have a first by Tim Dietz and a second by Ryan Hollingshead. Any further discussion? Ryan? Yeah, I just want to speak on behalf of this. While we're all residents of Douglas County, we should be responsible for all Douglas County schools. Um, this does impact Castle Rock specifically. Uh, the bond will provide the first elementary school south of Plum Creek Parkway, which is important. Um, it will be in Crystal Valley. That's a huge community that does not have a school, and it should have one immediately. Um, the, the Mill Levy will provide funding um, for the school district. Uh, we have really good schools in Douglas County because we have great families. We have great kids. Um, but our kids deserve the best schools. Um, they deserve to have buses and bus drivers to get them to school. They deserve to have their great teachers not leave the district um, like they are in droves. And so we need to be competitive in that sense. And so that was kind of the summary of the superintendent's presentation. But um, it will impact the kids of Castle Rock um, greatly. So I'm in favor of it. Thanks. Thank you, Max Brooks. Uh, thank you. I appreciate your comments. I, I really appreciate uh, superintendent coming out, uh, the board members uh, coming out. I think they do a fantastic job. Uh, to me, it's not uh, not an issue in any way, shape, or form about um, about need. I know that there are some items that are desperately needed: infrastructure and then improving uh, teacher pay. Uh, so those are those are items that, um, that I think everybody would be wise to look at and support. However, I do not believe that uh, it is our position to. Uh, recommend how our constituents vote on this particular item. Um, I believe especially in this current climate that we're in with unknowns still to come with property taxes, a lot of people on fixed incomes, those are decisions they really have to look at themselves. They have to read the language, you have to understand not saying that they don't, but I just want to make sure that everybody understands exactly where that half billion dollars is going, how it's going to be spent, and I believe that it's up to them to uh, to vote accordingly um, without necessarily influence from us. Laura Cavey. Um, just a quick comment. I had a position on this last year. I have the same position on it again this year. I'm not gonna go into it, but if anybody wants to know what my position is, they're more than welcome to email me. Thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? No. Uh, Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? No. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes five to two. Thank you. 
Number 16, Resolution 2023-113, Resolution Expressing the Town Council's Support and Submission and Application for Grant from Great Outdoors Colorado Land Acquisition Program for Lost Canyon Ranch Project. Jeff? Sorry, folks. I've done this a few times, messing up. So we're looking for uh, funding from funding assistance from Great Outdoors Colorado uh, to assist with the acquisition of the 681-acre Lost Canyon Ranch. Um, this particular purchase will provide protection of the habitat, the cultural resources that are on that site, and future passive recreation opportunities in open space. So together, Douglas County. Castle Rock Parks and Recreation, the town of Castle Rock, Castle Rock Water, and the Conservation Fund will all participate in the acquisition of Lost Canyon. So this kind of gives you a, a quick overview of the property. Um, let me go back for a second. So as you can see on this particular map, um, the black outlined with hash on it is, uh, is the Lost Canyon Ranch and 682 acres. You can see that it is uh, in the southeast corner of Castle Rock and it is adjacent to Castlewood Canyon State Park. So the outline in red here is showing you the detail of the particular property. Um, it has Willow Creek running through it and some very uh, rugged cliffs and then some pasture lands um, that surround that. And it is adjacent to the Castlewood Ranch area. Um, you can see in here also shown in blue is Castlewood Canyon State Park. So you can see the adjacency there. Uh, once again, this is uh, over 680 acres of property um, in Castle Rock. It is one of the last undeveloped parcels of this size in this particular area. We have a prehistoric uh, pre archaeological site. It's on the National Register of Historic Places that is on this site. Um, we all share the goal to protect and preserve the habitat and the cultural resources. Um, this is very similar to the partnership that successfully protected Gateway Mesa and Quarry Mesa open space properties in the past. Just a quick overview of the property. You can see that the, the Willow Creek winds through this property. You can see the rugged bluffs as they um, look down upon the riparian corridor. And then you have the uh, pine um, laced bluffs overlooking the, the valley. You can see some of the adjacent homes up to the right. So you can see how uh, development has uh, kind of gotten close to the canyon wanted to show you this. There are a couple of structures uh, on this property. We do have a residence. That residence, I believe, was built in about the 1960s. It hasn't been occupied for uh, some time, so it is in pretty rough condition. And then we also have uh, a couple of metal buildings, and those were previously used for horse boarding on the particular property. 
So what does this look like? So what we are asking for, so as is, let me back up for a second. So in July, we were one of the uh, groups who went ahead and submitted a grant application, a concept paper to GOCO. We were one of seven particular concept papers that were selected to compete. And uh, of those 11, um, they, were, they had requested about $19 million in funding. We are one of only two um, uh, applicants that have requested funding for acquisition. Uh, the other one is actually a um, reimbursement acquisition, and that's from the Colorado Springs area. So we're standing alone kind of as the only acquisition in this funding pool. So this is uh, what, what we kind of break down here is your projected project budget. Um, and you can see in here that we are asking GOCO for $2 million. Um, we are looking at a contribution from the town of Castle Rock of just over $6 million, from Douglas County at $6 million. Um, the conservation fund is committed to do some private fundraisings through some uh, great nonprofits that they know. And so we're, you can see what our est total estimated uh, purchase price is. We currently have a signed letter of tent on this project. We have a contract that is pending before the owner. Well, I can't say it's pending before the owner. He's aware of it. He's currently in Alaska on a hunting trip, so he'll be back shortly. So we'll be able to see if we can go ahead and get that contract signed. So you have proposed motions in front of you. And once again, we're asking for your support for this GOCO grant application, approximately $2 million for the acquisition of the Lost Canyon Ranch. Well, there's a few questions, but before um, that, Jeff, can, for, uh, for reference, can you give me a, a total acreage on Philip S. Miller uh, Park? David? Ballpark. Right around 300? <laughs> yeah, right around, right around 300. So it's, yeah, we were at 240 to begin with, and then we added some more, so we're okay. right around 300. So it's over twice as big. Thank you. Yes. Max Brooks? What is the expected decision time on uh, the grant? So the decision time is December 8th. So we actually have, we're really close to our submittal deadline. Um, so we have two days until we submit. Um, so we're pretty much ready to go with, uh, with all of our paperwork. Um, the Conservation Fund, uh, we worked collaboratively together to go ahead and put the grant application together. We've talked with uh, Douglas County and our other funding partners, including Castle Rock Water, and we feel very comfortable with where we're at in, in, in as far as our partnership agreement goes. Actually, since you, since you mentioned it, um, I guess, I guess nothing's determined, but can we talk about water, about the, the water rights and, and what happens there? If, if, if this is all successful? If it's all successful, yes. So Castle Rock would retain water rights? Castle Rock would retain the water rights. And so uh, as it stands right now, um, the projected purchase price includes those rights. Thank you. Laura Cavey. Any more questions for Jeff or staff? Seeing none, I have no one's time to speak. If someone would like to speak, please approach the podium. The speaker and the microphone online users can use their star three button. Uh, and I'm uh, sorry, phone, phone call use the star three button. And please say your name and whether a resident, non-resident, or business owner who have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. Laura Cavey. So I just want to say thank you. I think that this property is amazing. I think 
It's one of the best things we've done in a long time to preserve that open space. There are a lot of species there, um, particularly avian, um, that we can protect by uh, purchasing this property and having it there for generations to enjoy. I've gotten a lot of emails um, in support of this and phone calls saying how excited people are about this. So I just want to say thank you because I'm thrilled I'm thrilled about this. So I think it's just amazing and awesome that we can do this. So thank you. Thank you. I move to approve the resolution as introduced by title. Second. I have a first by Max Brooks, a second uh, by Laura Cavey, and I'd like to speak in favor of the motion. Um, yeah, I walked this with uh, with Parks and Rec about a year, a little more than a year ago. It's, it's a mini Castlewood Canyon. It'll be one of the biggest parks in the front range. Um, I, uh, it's, it's a pretty amazing uh, piece of property. Uh, there aren't many things like it. It also serves as a buffer between us and other communities. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, we've done a lot of good things recently with, with this kind of stuff. We have Metzler's um, and their endowment to us. Uh, we recently got Cantrell School, and this is just, uh, you know, really um, the, the triple threat. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing, and I don't, um, I cannot thank you guys more for really looking hard at it and, and our council for looking hard at it. No, there's a lot of work yet to be done, uh, but thank you for the work that has been done to date. I mean, this is this is huge. I mean, since I moved into the area, um, this is right against my district. I am, uh, I mean, really, even as poorly as I hit uh, a three wood, I'm, I'm a three wood from this property. Uh, and it, it has been, a topic of discussion uh, for as far back as I can remember to 2006 when I first moved to Castle Rock as far as uh, residents in the area being concerned about development uh, there uh, because it is a prime piece of land. Uh, it's just it's just absolutely beautiful. It's amazing. Hey, number one, I think it was number one, if not certainly a top five in the town survey acquisition of, of open space, developing more open space because that's what people here in Castle Rock love to, love to see, they love to utilize. I know it comes with a pretty big price tag, but there's some great partnership here for success successful with GOCO, the partnership with Douglas County. Um, so it's just great work all the way around that I think will really benefit residents. So thank you. Hey, for discussion. Again, thank you. Roll call vote. Where did? Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Number 17, resolution 2023-111. Resolution approving the intergovernmental agreement with the state of Colorado uh, Industrial Tributary, Tributary Trail. Jeff. Mayor and council, thanks for hearing this item tonight. Um, one of the things we really like to do in parks and recreation is trying to leverage our financial resources to get the most out of everything that we can. And so this uh, project is a particular example of that. So this, uh, this project is an east-west trail and it links downtown Castle Rock to the Philip S. Miller parks and to the neighborhoods west of I-25. Um, it is, it, in, in, includes Miller's Landing and the Brickyard developments, and they will they will also participate in this. And um, we went and we sought additional grants for this. So this project includes a box culvert, culvert a tunnel under the railroad, and a bridge over East Plum Creek. 
So let me kind of show you a map and orient you to this project. And so I know that Mr. Corliss, Corliss really, really likes the name of the industrial tributary, and he's hoping that someday you will rename that. Um, but right now, we're just gonna focus on seeing if we can get this thing on the map. So on the right-hand side of this particular image, you have I-25 running north and south. You have Plum Creek Parkway, West Plum Creek Parkway, which is kind of down and to the left. And then you have uh, Miller's Landing in the Brickyard area that are shown just below the green. And the green that runs through there is the town-owned property. And so we are gonna be running a trail from, and, and the bottom left of your corner is the Miller Activity Complex. You can see the red roof. So we're gonna run a trail from the MAC all the way down to Fifth Street, go across the railroad and across uh, East Plum Creek and then come into the East Plum Creek Trail as it goes into downtown. So we have a, a culvert crossing at Prairie Hawk. We have a, um, a tunnel underneath the railroad and we have a bridge over East Plum Creek. So this is a rather ambitious uh, project. It's one that typically Parks and Recreation wouldn't take on. So we had the assistance of our wonderful Public Works Department to try and put this grant together and to kind of envision this project. So in 2022, we uh, applied and received a $4.9 million grant for engineering design and construction of this particular trail. So the entire project, and that is includes Miller's Landing, includes the Brickyard, has a value of just over $9 million. So we would be paying for uh, the difference through our annual trails account and then we would borrow and repay through future annual allocations for trail improvements. And I'll show you that in a little bit in a graph a little bit later. Um, tonight, what we're looking at, um, and this is a requirement of the Colorado Department of Transportation through the state, is that we enter into an IGA or an intergovernmental agreement before we do any of the design work. So we have to do this as a two-stage process, and I'll come back to you with the, with the design agreement um, at the next meeting. So um, we did uh, distribute the RFP for design work, and so we know about what the value of that is, and so um, we're looking to execute this IGA. So kind of give you an idea of what the time frame would be on this, would be uh, planning, design, and permitting through the end of 2024, and then construction for 2025. This kind of shows the layout of the budget uh, as you go through this. We're looking at the design contract itself, kind of a design estimate of about a million dollars. So the way this particular grant works is that we are reimbursed at each billing stage. So we get reimbursed by the feds and from the state. So we can really cash flow this pretty well. And Trish and her staff did a good job of kind of walking us through this and see how we could go ahead and afford this. Um, we have the construction uh, estimate at this point in time, uh, that's based upon what we know of the project at this point in time, about $7.2 million. Um, we also have developer contributions, and that's from the Brickyard and from Miller's Landing of 1.9. Um, so as you can see, we, we have, and you go down to that bottom box, between the total borrowing up front with the internal loan, the total reimbursement from Dr. Cog, we're looking at a total actual borrowing of about $3.28 million, and we can go ahead and cover that through our annual trails distribution for the next several years. 
So that covers that project right now. We're looking for an approval of a intergovernmental agreement with CDOT, and that's all this is tonight. It's not, you're not approving any of the design, you're not approving any of the construction. So it's simply an IGA with the Colorado Department of Transportation taking advantage of this very uh, wonderful uh, grant of $4.9 million. So I'm available for any questions. Any questions before public comment? Laura Kelly. So help me understand what CDOT has to do with this. Because I, I guess I'm just not understanding how they come into play. Um, because it's not about I-25. CDOT has um, access to certain federal funds for what they call multimodal options, such as bike paths, trails, those, those types of things, sometimes transit, those types of things. They have access to the, that type of federal funding. They put out a um, request for proposals or an opportunity to submit grant applications. Um, our Public Works Department, in coordination with the Parks Department, put out a grant application to do that. Um, so it's a different pot of money that would otherwise be available for interchanges or um, pothole fixing. This is money that is available for this type of, of project. And we competed successfully among other municipalities and jurisdictions that were seeking this type of funding. And that, that's why CDOT is involved, is that it, it, it's multimodal and then it's a trail. Um, it's, you're right, it doesn't have anything to do with interchanges and state highways and those kinds of things. Okay, thank you. I was just confused. No, the, like, how would we have an IGA with them for a bridge? <laughs> yeah, and, and that is the key. Dave, Dave pointed out the multimodal is exactly what qualifies this project. So CDOT does deal um, with those different types of delivery methods. Thank you. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Any more questions for, for Jeff? Seeing none, I have no one's time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and calls to press star three. And please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we have town council for a possible motion and discussion. I move to approve the resolution as introduced by title. Second. I have a first by Laura Cavey, a second by Ryan Hollinshead. Any further discussion? Just thanks for all the hard work. And I appreciate it. Thank it'll, you. Be nice, it'll be a nice addition. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz. Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Yes. Mayor Gray. Yes. Motion passed unanimously. Thank you. Number 18, resolution 2023-112. Resolution approving the grant application to, to the land and water conservation fund improvements for Centennial Park. Hey, Jeff. <laughs> Mayor and Council, thanks for hearing this item tonight. I'm starting to feel like Mark Marlowe up here looking at the water conservation stuff and everything. So, um, did I tell you that we'd like to leverage funding as best as we can in parks and recreation? Well, this is another example of that. So, this is an uh, application for a land and water conservation fund project. And this is um, the project site is Centennial Park. And you can see that it is uh, just north of South Street, and it is just to the east of Gilbert Street, and it is, uh, I believe, our oldest park site from the 1970s. So very, very centrally located in, in downtown. 
This is the extreme in the yellow is the extreme northwest corner of Centennial Park. Um, this is the tennis courts. Many of you probably don't even know these exist, but they've been there for 40 some years. Um, we have this in our five-year capital improvement plan to do the design and the construction um, then subsequently in 2025 and 2026. This is the current condition of those facilities. Um, once again, our wonderful public works director is back there probably just stressing out over this. These are the cracks in the asphalt pavement on the, uh, on the basketball court. Um, these are some of the accessibility problems that we have with the site and where it's located and what we have to deal with. Um, this is adjacent to the alley. Uh, this is some of the uh, uh, infrastructure that is uh, starting to degrade significantly. So for those of you who don't know about the Land and Water Conservation Fund, it's, it's funded primarily by offshore drilling revenues from the oil industry. Um, it was enacted by Congress in 1965. Um, it's used to create parks and open spaces to protect our wilderness areas, uh, preserve wildlife habitat, and enhance recreation opportunities. Um, we are particularly lucky that this project Centennial Park was funded by LWCF back in the 1970s. As a result of that is this particular grant cycle, they are looking at refurbishing those projects that they had previously done and make, bringing them kind of up to standard. So we think that uh, we've actually had some great conversations. This, this project is administered by the Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And so we've had some great conversations with them in regards to what our possibilities for this grant would be. Um, you know, we've only had one project um, in those 40 years, but um, Colorado on a whole, you can see the numbers there, over a thousand land and water conservation fund projects. So it's been an extremely um, successful program. So you can see there where they're, they're prioritizing the replacements of facilities and that's why we lined up with this real well. That's why our staff went ahead and put in the time to uh, put this grant application together. Um, what we would do um, in this particular case is we, we went ahead and we did a little bit of public process on this and, and did a little bit of community outreach. Um, and so we are looking at um, converting one of the three tennis courts, possibly to pickleball courts, um, and then replacing the basketball court. Um, this does not have to be the final design decision. We have plenty of time for that, okay? That was simply something that came out of um, the uh, meeting that we had. We are still um, putting together the uh, community survey information and totaling all that information back to us. So um, don't, get, don't get hung up on that, we're just, we're, we're ready to refurbish this facility and get it up to current standards. This would also include new fencing, accessible walkways, retaining walls, seatings, and shade structures. So you can see that it would be a significant improvement um, to the neighborhood. So we've asked for $800,000. We believe that we can do the total project for about 1.75 million. Um, we will fund the rest through our conservation trust fund, and you know those those are our, our Colorado lottery dollars at work. 
Um, we're looking at a application submittal deadline of October 3rd and the spring of 2024 on our notice of grant. And you can see with these grants that they take a little bit of time for them to review and for them to approve. Um, we also have a project completion time within three years of the reward. So what we're asking for you from you tonight is a resolution in support of this grant application and the requirements of that application. That's all I have, and I'm available for any questions. Questions, um, Max Brooks and then Laura Cavey. I, uh, <clears throat> I appreciate how you quickly got us off the pickleball conversation okay. considering other municipalities are putting moratoriums in place on those. You didn't want to make sure that that was not part of the conversation right now. But hey, just a quick question about that land and water conservation fund. Are they, uh, are they funding only uh, refurbishing projects that they had originally funded, or is there new application money just for future things? available as well. No, in fact, uh, I was just talking with Justin Spring from the Conservation Fund the other day who we're partnering with on, on Lost Canyon, and he's indicated that con Congress has allocated, I believe, up to $900 million. So they will be focusing on refurbishing, but they will also open it up to other types of projects too. So it's, it, it has a very broad uh, appeal to communities. Sounds good, Laura Cavey. So that park that we're refurbishing, is there anything else there? I mean, it looks kind of just like a grassy open space with those old, you know, tennis courts and the old basketball court. Is that all that's really there right now? No, you'd, okay. be, you'd be surprised to know that that also includes Burgess Pool. Okay. Okay, and the parking lot there. Uh, it includes uh, pavilions. It includes a playground. It also includes a uh, multi-purpose sports field that also doubles. We actually partnered with Castle Rock Water, and it's actually a detention facility in that particular area. Um, a, a great um, baseball infield, baseball softball infield, um, and then... Um, it, it yeah it, tra it transitions into a kind of an open space area, and goes up to the tennis court. So it's um, it's kind of it's kind of sneaky little park the way it kind of is is um, ingrained in the neighborhood. Are we going to at some point do anything to maybe refurbish like the playground or any of those other facets of it, or is this just kind of a opening start to, to do portions of it. Yeah, Does that make that's, sense? Yeah, and, and we have over time refurbished different portions of it. So Burgess Pool was rebuilt um, not too long ago. We redid the playground um, within the last eight years probably. Um, so we have, you know, the, the pavilions are still in reasonable shape. And then um, partnering with Castle Rock Water on some of the other pavilions and play fields are still in, in good shape. So this will really kind of bring that entire park up to a, a good service level for the community. Gotcha, thank you, appreciate yeah. it. Desi. My predecessor thanks you and so do I. <laughs> Jason Bauer has been uh, calling me over this park. Yeah, me as well. Um, Jeff, I believe it's our oldest park in Castle Rock? I believe it is, I, and it, it's, I mean, it's Centennial Park, so it was, it was in the 1970s, so. Thank you. I have no one else time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature. And phone and callers to press star three. Please state your name and whether you are resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. Mayor, I move to approve the resolution as introduced by title. Second. 
have a first by Desla Floor, second by Max Brooks, and like to speak in favor of it. Um, it's my it's in my hood, um, and in, over time it's been refurbed in pieces. Um, I, Laura has some good questions there because yeah, that I remember I remember when I first moved to, moved to town the that that. Um, that retention pond would get four or five feet of water, and it was yes. it was crazy. And um, and then the 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 jungle gym was uh, shortly there after replaced, and so on and so forth with the pool, and and now this. So it's it feels disjointed. I think that to Laura gave his credit, it does feel disjointed. But hopefully, we can get it all to one standard eventually. So I do appreciate it. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dees? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passed unanimously. Number 19, resolution 2023-106, resolution waiving the formal written bidding requirement on the basis of sole source approving construction contract with Saunders Construction Inc. for the Recreation Center slide tower removal and replacement. Jeff. Mayor and Council, thanks for hearing this uh, item tonight. I've talked previously about leveraging our resources the best we can, and this is the reason why we have to do that, because every once in a while we need money for a project. This is one of those projects that kind of uh, snuck, on, uh, snuck up on us a little bit, and with the degradation of the um, stair tower and the structure around that in regards to the, the recreation center. We now have to go ahead and rebuild that. So tonight we are asking you for consideration of a sole source for Saunders Construction um, to repair and to replace that, that project. Come on. There we go. So in 2022, we engaged uh, JVA Structural Engineering to take a look at the condition of their towers. Um, they determined that uh, they needed to be closed down for safety purposes and that they were gonna go ahead and continue to, uh, um, to degrade. And so we went ahead and we did that. Uh, doing so, uh, we estimate that it would cost us about $20,000 in estimated revenue loss per month from admissions and about another $5,000 a month in birthday parties. So we knew that um, it was a very serious decision that we had to make. Um, we reached out to our original architectural team and to our original contracting team to provide a solution uh, because the way that this is kind of embedded into the aquatics facility, it made for a very difficult construction project. In fact, we reached out to a number of different contractors. We brought them on site for a pre-construction meeting. Um, we asked there for, for their consideration of the project and none of those uh, contractors wanted to bid the project due to its complexity and the things that we might find in it and the fact that they couldn't put uh, reasonable talented labor on the project to get it done. So we're asking tonight for consideration of Saunders as a sole source. Um, they were the ones who built the original addition and they have an extensive background. They're a very a large construction company and they are capable of handling this project and there wouldn't be any real surprises for them since they did a lot of the original construction. 
So when we talked about this project, when we talk about the, the stair tower, um, it sounds kind of insignificant, but it's not. Um, it really involves the entire structure uh, of that aquatic. So um, I just kind of wanted to go through some of the scope of the work here uh, to let you know how involved this is. So uh, basically, in order to go ahead and uh, keep the pool operating for the majority of the time, we have to place a temporary barrier between the pool and the slide structure to, to, to continue our operations. We have to de demolish the existing slide stairs, the pump pit, the ceiling, and the stair tower enclosure. Um, the exterior slides will be removed for access. The slide tower walls will be replaced with a structural concrete block and a new roof. Galvanized steel stairs and railings will be added, painted, and, and then finished appropriately for the particular environment that this is in. We'll make sure that we have all the sealant and joint work done for the pool deck as well as the building wall perimeter. The interior steel structures will be repainted with high performance coating. New windows, new duct work will be installed. Uh, we'll improve the lighting and the air handling, in particular the air handling because that, that was one of the components that led to our failure uh, previously. Um, we would like to go ahead and start this project. A lot of folks have been waiting for this for a very long time, um, and we've been really working through kind of the construction industry to get to the point where we could go ahead and kick this off and, and make it happen. Um, we're looking at uh, closing as soon as we can and getting this under construction. Like I said, it's really probably about the last month of construction that we'll have to shut the entire thing down, uh, but we believe that we'll be able to operate um, up until then um, and keep people in the pool. We're looking at an April of 2024 completion date. So we take a look at, when we look at our purchasing policies, we take a look at the sole source and what the purchasing policy says. And, and we believe that in this particular case, Saunders Construction offers a unique uh, service for us due to the complexity of this construction, the fact that they were the original contractor and we're going to have no surprises on this particular uh, project. Um, once again, we worked with the finance staff in order to go ahead and create an internal loan. This loan will be paid back by our community center fund. Our community center fund has been doing pretty well financially so that we would have the ability to do so. We're looking at an amount of about 2.486544, um, so 2.4 million plus a town managed contingency of $248,000. Um, this expense, and you will hear from Trish a little bit later tonight, it's included in the 2023 budget amendment. Um, the fund has the capacity to cover these project costs until that budget amendment is formally adopted and the appropriation of funds is complete. So we're looking at a sole source for Saunders construction, and we're looking at a construction amount of 2486544 plus a 10% town managed contingency in order to make this project happen. You have resolutions before you, and we've also included alternate motions for your consideration, and I'm available for any questions that you may have. Any questions for Jeff? I guess I have one. Um, my guess is it's just, it just doesn't always uh, need to be uh, an ROI issue, but I was wondering, it, it, it's an awfully expensive uh, apparatus. Is it, is it worth spending $2.4 million on it? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that we found, and we, we've kind of demonstrated that on the monthly income that we have on this, is that um, 
we never like to take away an amenity that we have. And we know that our participation and our use continues to go up. And we know that that's been impacted as a result of not having that slide. Um, we would be remiss not putting this back into place. We can fund it. Um, we can operate it. And we'd love to put it back out there as for an amenity for this community. So uh, we believe that it's a worthy investment. Thank you. I appreciate it. David? No, I, I agree with uh, Mr. Brower. Okay. Um, I mean, I, we, we, we joked a little bit about wouldn't it be cheaper just to pass out $20 bills to every kid that wanted to go down the slide? But um, we don't want to take away amenities for the community. Uh, one of the comments that we hear is, is there stuff for kids to do in town? And we've taken this amenity away. Um, we need to bring it back. Um, communities our size have more recreation centers than we do, uh, they probably have more amenities than we do. So to some extent, we're playing catch up. Great. So I, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, you know, put a price tag on a kid's smile. There you go. Why it's waiting to get big enough <laughs> for this slide? So we're getting the slide. <laughs> I have no one signed to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in a microphone. And online users may use raise your hand feature and phone in callers press star three and please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Thank you, seeing none. We'll bring back to town council for possible motion and, and discussion. Hey Dave, let me know on that $20 bill thing. I think I can meet the height requirement. <laughs> I move to approve the resolution as introduced by title. Second, and I have a comment. Sure. I have a first by Desi LaFlora, second by Laura Cavey. Laura Cavey has a comment. I just want to say that I'm not ashamed to admit that I've gone down that slide. <laughs> <laughs> And you so, will again. <laughs> I, I am definitely in favor. Thank you. <laughs> we have a first and a second. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Deeds? Yes. Mayor Pertem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Moving on number 20, ordinance 2023-22, ordinance approving the third amendment for a 2023 fiscal year budget by making supplemental appropriations for the 2023 fiscal year. Trish. Thank you, Mayor and Council. Now that uh, Jeff has spent all the money, we gotta get the budget in line with what he asked and you approved. So we're here with the uh, uh, budget amendment, the third amendment for the 2023 budget. Uh, council originally approved the 23 budget back in fall of 22, and many things have happened since that time, so we come to you occasionally with changes or modifications to that budget. Uh, what you've heard tonight is a lot of um, budget requests for parks and rec type um, costs that they're incurring. So the majority of this amendment is due to the remodel of the slide, so you all can go down that when you want, and the design costs for the tributary trail. Uh, we do also have the police department SRO that was requested by Aspen View Academy in this budget amendment as well. As you can see in the packet, the total expenses for this amendment total $6,115,138. Those expenses do have a revenue offset of 2.7, approximately 2.7 million. So looking at this by area, I'm gonna hop around a little bit in these slides trying to connect the dots within some of these numbers. So this slide talks specifically in the community center fund. Um, the first thing that I wanna point out is that number that, that Jeff previously mentioned, the 2.6, 2,670, 
$1,385. That is the cost plus the contingency for that slide repair. Jeff also mentioned that there would be a loan from the general fund to the community center. If you look up above there in the revenues, you see 1.370 million. So that is loan coming into the community center from the general fund. So we don't have to go external for our financing. We want to keep interest low, no issuance costs, anything like that. So those two numbers are related. The other two numbers that are related are um, down below the middle item for the expenditure requests. Uh, this represents various items that we need to have fixed at the MAC, including uh, roof repairs. They also want to do a used vehicle purchase, but the relation is, um, is related to the programming. You can see up above, there's an amount there, 580000 So that's additional revenue coming in through the Colorado Stability Grant. And uh, some of the cost that would be covered by that grant is included down below in the 600, if you don't get too many circles going on here. Uh, the last thing that we have on this slide for Park and Rec is an adjustment to the personnel for the golf club. We need to um, make some adjustments in the salaries that we have there as well. Moving on to the general fund, you're gonna see the flip side of some of these transactions. And you're also going to see the revenue coming in for that trail, that CDOT trail that Jeff was talking about. Uh, you see the 585000 coming in, and that was for design costs for tributary trail. Uh, the expenses that you see coming into the general fund, the first one there, the 1.370, is a transfer out of the general fund into community center for the loan. Uh, you'll see the industrial tributary trail design, and that is the one being reimbursed by the 585 up above for just over a million. And then the fire department has a records management software that they use, and they are asking for a supplemental request of 63543 to cover additional costs related to that new software. The last area that we have here, like I mentioned, was for the SRO, for the school resource officer. Uh, Chief Colley brought this to council, I wanna say maybe a month ago now, um, talking about the request from Aspen View Academy, how they wanted a full-time SRO, and they would pay for it. So what we're doing there is we're bumping up our revenue, and we're also bumping up the expense for that position. And that is it. I'm open for any questions that you may have. Any questions for Trish? I guess just a point of clarification, just for anybody who's looking at that number thinking, I should have been a school resource officer. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure that also includes equipment, uh, initial cost, right? Vehicle. Uh, that is so correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, just, Thank you for pointing yeah. that out. Thank you. Any more further questions for Trish? Seeing none, I have no one's time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature. And phone and call to press star three and state your name, whether you are resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring to town council for discussion and possible motion. I move to approve an ordinance approving the third amendment to the 2023 budget by making supplemental appropriations for 2023 and authorizing changes for year 2023. Second. I have a first by Max Brooks, a second by Desi LaFleur. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember D? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. 
Number 21, Ordinance 2023-017, Ordinance approving the Second Amendment to the View Castle Rock Redevelopment and Financing Agreement between the Town of Castle Rock and down, Castle Rock Downtown Development Authority, Castle Rock View Investors, LLC. David? Mayor and Council, at your last meeting on August the 15th, Council approved by a vote of five to two, first reading of this ordinance. The ordinance um, amends the redevelopment and financing agreement between the town and the development of the view um, only in the regards of extending the requirement for an occupancy permit by eight months to the end of um, calendar year 2024. Um, there's been no change in the ordinance from first reading to second reading. Um, Mr. Tilson with the Downtown Alliance and Mr. Floodman with the development are available online if you have any additional questions or I'm available for questions. Um, happy to respond to uh, any additional inquiry and then a, a motion to approve the ordinance on uh, second reading is uh, recommended by staff. Any questions for David or anybody else? Or I guess there's uh, Banks and Kevin Tilson online. I guess the only thing I, I, I question is, we're not approving the building. The building's not gonna get torn down if we say no. We're more really this uh, approving the agreement for the parking garage. The, the entire financing agreement that includes the parking garage is correct. Okay. If for some reason it got voted down, then what would happen? Well, then you would then have the um, issue of whether or not they will be out of substantial compliance sometime next year with the um, with the agreement, um, and then there probably will be um, an issue as to whether or not we could claim the uh, 100 parking spaces. We'd have an issue that we would then be asking for them to pay. Uh, back uh, the $3 million that were that was waived for the purchase of the agreement and there'd probably be um, a lot of uh, uh, unnecessary lawyering, um, I guess would be the issue okay. um, in, in regards to that. But we still value having these time requirements in these agreements or otherwise what we are essentially, if we don't have a time agreement in these agreements, what we're doing is we're giving an applicant, a developer, speculative right that they could sit on theoretically for years. And we'd like to see that they've got progress on the project. In this case, in our mind, staff's opinion, they've, they've made progress on the project. They've been delayed. You see the reasons why they point to the delay in their, in their letter. So it's not as though they're sitting on the, the rights in the development agreement for speculation purposes to sit on it for a, a long period of time. They're making progress toward the development. They're just asking for an additional eight months. No, I appreciate that. I just, I just want to make sure everyone understood that, that it's going to get built. It's just a matter of how it gets built and how much aggravation and all that kind of stuff. Right, I mean, it, what it would do is it would probably put the, the redevelopment agreement into uh, an, an unusual status where the, so portions of it would not be being complied with, other portions would be. So you, then you'd have arguments about, well, maybe we don't give you the parking spaces. Well, we think we've paid for them by waiving the fees and back and forth. 
and it, I mean, it could potentially unravel the financing agreement, but then they probably would have a claim against us. And then you also have, at least in staff's view, um, the issue of who's going to want to do an agreement with the town going forward if you're going to unreasonably deny an extension like this. That, that, that could be an argument going forward. Okay. I was just kind of making sure. Um, any more questions for Dave or staff? Seeing none, I have no one else, no one else, no one signed up to speak. If there's anyone who wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in a microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone in callers can press star three. Please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. Mayor, I move to approve the ordinance as introduced by title on second reading. Second. First by Desla Fleur, second by Ryan Hollinghead. Um, I'd like to speak in favor of the motion. I think that, you know, I mean, regardless of how we voted before, um, it was, it was, you know, uh, contentious at times. This is something that, that we want to, you know, we want those 100 spots without having, uh, having a, a construction company and an argument between us, us and the, and the construction company and, and that kind of thing. I think that this is, getting 100 spots is, is really good for our town, um, regardless of how we voted previously a couple of years ago. Um, with that, we do have a first and a second. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? No. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Nope. Mayor Potem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes five to two. Thank you. Number 22, ordinance 2023-018. The ordinance amending sections 17.48.090 of the Castle Rockwell Code regarding approval of variances of the town's skyline ridgeline protection regulations. Second reading approved in the first reading on August 15th. Right. Tara Vargas. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Um, this was heard on August 15th and was voted uh, for by a vote of six to one. Uh, this is the ordinance amending the variance procedure for the Skyline Ridgeline variance. Uh, no other changes are proposed to this ordinance. Um, Overall, uh, we indicated that there'd be a process for a single lot that would take them to a public hearing before town council. And then we were proposing changes uh, for multiple lots that they would be made in conjunction with the site development plan. They'd go to planning commission for recommendation and then on to town council for final action. So from the first reading, there have been no changes to the ordinance that's attached to your packet. Um, and I'm happy to take any questions you might have on these changes at this time. Any questions for Tara before we move forward? Seeing none, I have no one time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak to the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and call since, um, since press star three and please state your name and whether you're a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we're going to bring it back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. Move to approve this ordinance as introduced by title. Second. Number first by Max Brooks, a second by Laura Cavey. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. 
Number 23, resolution 2023-109, resolution authorizing the town manager to file affordable housing commitment with the Colorado Department of Local Affairs pursuant on Proposition 123 in state law acknowledging the town's commitment to a regional partnership with Douglas County jurisdictions and the most affordable housing goals and meet affordable housing goals. All right. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Um, sorry for the really long titles. They're good tonight. So uh, Proposition 123 was a voter initiative uh, that was approved in November of 2022. It does direct the state to put 0.1% of their revenues uh, toward affordable housing. So the state has um, a program in place now that they are um, working to establish that through part of the money goes to DOLA and that's part of what we're, we're talking about tonight. Uh, the objective for the program is to increase affordable housing units across the state uh, by 3% a year for the next three years. So that totals 9% increase over the next three years. Uh, there's a variety of programs that the state is putting out, um, including uh, land banking, affordable housing equity, uh, concessionary debt, which are as a loan structure for some of these projects, affordable home ownership uh, programs for housing instability and local capacity development. So there's a wide variety of programs. Uh, the state will utilize uh, some of their existing structure with CHAFA um, and other tools that they already have with this new stream of money. Um, I do want to make sure it's clear that Proposition 123 does not change or supersede our local zoning laws or our local land use decisions. Uh, so I want to make sure that um, I say it on the first slide now. I'll work to say it on the last slide also. Um, some of the requirements of the program is a local jurisdiction needs to commit uh, to increase their number of units by 9% over the three years. Uh, for Castle Rock, our baseline number of existing units today is uh, 3,067. And so an increase of 9% over three years would be 277 uh, new affordable units in the market. Uh, housing units are counted at the time a building permit is issued. So if we choose to participate in this program, um, every time we issue a building permit that includes affordable units after we uh, sign up for the program, that'll count toward the 277 units. Um, one thing I want to make sure it's clear, this is a new program. They are looking to incentivize and motivate uh, communities to be involved. Um, what happens if we don't issue 277 affordable units, uh, permits for that many units by the end of 2026? Um, it makes us ineligible to ask to utilize the funds for the next year, 2027. There is not a uh, repayment or a, um, any other issues that are triggered by that. So what we are doing tonight is really wanting to, one, explain the program to you, uh, but also talk about our partnership with Douglas County Housing Partnership. Um, there, you see the jurisdictions on the slide in front of you are all a part of that area. We already work today with Douglas County Housing Partnership to bring affordable units to the town. Uh, you see them as a partner on a lot of our either current or previous affordable housing projects. So by committing to... Um, to working to increase our specific units for Castle Rock by 277 over the next three years. That allows a Douglas County Housing Partnership potentially access to these new dollars. So that could incentivize um, or fund additional units. So as a county, um, all of the jurisdictions you see on the screen um, 
we as a part of Proposition 123 can choose to work together as a collaboration. So instead of Castle Rock specifically applying for these monies on our own or administering the program, Douglas County Housing Partnership would do all of that, which is really the work they already do today. Uh, it would just be an, an additional and different stream of income they could utilize. So overall, if all these jurisdictions participate, um, our goal for the three years would be the 1,203 units you see on the bottom of this slide. Um, it's our understanding that if any jurisdiction exceeds um, their three-year commitment, that could be allocated toward other jurisdictions to help our region, if you will, uh, achieve the goal. Um, all of the communities have been talking about Proposition 123. I do have um, Artie with the Housing Partnership uh, in person tonight, and Maria is online if there's questions. But know that they have been meeting with all these jurisdictions, um, doing study sessions with some of their leadership teams. Uh, on this list, Lone Tree is the one that currently has passed a resolution to participate in 123, as well as to participate with Douglas County Housing Partnership to do that. Um, several of these other jurisdictions have had various study sessions and discussions with their elected bodies. I believe Douglas County is scheduled to um, hear a resolution on it September 12th, and then Castle Pines um, and Parker are looking at some dates either later this month or in October. So know that all the communities, we're not trying to act independent of each other, but we all need to make the best decision for ourselves. Um, in staff's view, uh, we see that we can have a greater impact working with Douglas County Housing Partners um, so our recommendation for you all tonight is to uh, file that commitment with DOLA to, that we will, as a jurisdiction, working with uh, Douglas County Housing Partnership, work together to increase our affordable housing units in town. Um, again, Proposition 123 does not change or supersede any of our local zoning laws or our land use decisions uh, that you all make here at this dais. Uh, but it is a new thing for our state that the voters put in place last year, and we'd like to make sure that, um, that our residents and our community can benefit from this additional funding. I do also want to uh, make it clear that the housing partnership is who typically applies for these funds in our area. Again, you see those on applications before you. Um, but by participating in the program, it also would allow um, an other um, you know, 503 nonprofit or a developer to make an application also. But in our area, they typically do that with the housing partnership uh, to help them walk them through the process and gain access to a variety of uh, funds and, uh, and loan financing structures. So with that, I have a proposed motion for your consideration. Um, there is a resolution that's attached to the packet that authorizes the town manager uh, to file the necessary paperwork with DOLA um, and to get our process started. As soon as we do file and commit to participating, uh, then any uh, building permits we issue count toward that. So we do have some pending applications. Um, for example, the La Quinta Wellsprings application, uh, if that were to move forward successfully, then those 42 units would be our first step uh, toward our 277. So I'm going to pause there. I did mention that we have um, Artie Leal and Maria Sion with us um, both online and in person, as well as Brad Bolin, our long-range uh, pl planning um, staff member who's been attending all the webinars and going through a lot of the information on it. So we're all here to answer any questions you may have. Sure. Um, and we do have public comment. So before we move on to public comment, are there any questions? Laura Kaby. 
So when we're talking about funds, A, how much funds? B, how do they have to be used? How would we, how do we take those funds and how would we apply them into the community if they're not changing, you know, if it doesn't change anything from a zoning or an ordinance perspective, then how exactly are we going to use these funds? I will give my answer and then I might ask if either Maria online wants to jump in or if, if Art does in person. Um, um, overall statewide, the funding changes based on the, the amount of uh, revenue the state brings in, but there's about $160 million designated for this first year statewide. Um, this is not a program where our jurisdiction is allocated a certain amount. Each uh, project around the state that involves affordable housing today competes for different pots of funding from the state or federal government. So it'll it'll happen along in that same fashion. So whether they are, um, and I'll get back real fast to one of these slides, um, whether they are working with CHAFA for land banking or concessionary debt, or if they're working with uh, DOLA on funding for, uh, just regular funding for a program, um, this is just an additional revenue stream that goes to it. So we, our jurisdiction is not gonna be allocated a pot of money. It is different than, I'll use the example of CDBG, which is a, a pot of money that you get uh, established first and then you spend each project that's in our jurisdiction um, that's already competing against other projects for funding will now have access to this additional funding. So I'm gonna pause there and ask if either Maria or Artie wanna add on to that. Let her jump in. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Thanks for having us. Um, so right now when we concoct a, a, a project, for example, the La Quinta Inn conversion project, we had to apply uh, to the state for a record $4 million on that project. Um, we competed and we succeeded. This gives us another pot of money to go after and we do have, uh, I won't mention names, but we are working on several different projects in the community that are currently zoned right. I wanna make sure that that's clear. Uh, projects that are zoned right, uh, that would meet the, the town's goals as stated in this uh, commitment. Um, other projects, of course, we're always thinking about, but um, uh, there would be an IGA issued um, amongst all of the member jurisdictions of the housing partnership, and the IGA would just simply state that any uh, jurisdiction that exceeded its goal, those excess units could be reallocated. So for example, unincorporated Douglas County, we have enough projects in the pipeline to far exceed their their uh, current goals. So those, uh, those numbers uh, could then be distributed to Castle Rock, Castle Pines, Parker, whoever needed them. So let me see if I understand this correctly, particularly for other people listening or they come back and you know watch a council meeting. Let's say we had another project that comes in front of council like Wellspring. Mm -hmm. That would be a project then that we could go and apply for these funds? We, we would as the developer. Okay, you guys would go and apply. We wouldn't. The, the town. You would. Okay, would. you would but go. I cannot unless the town votes to uh, opt into the program. Okay. But then at that point, then you would go on the behalf of Castle Rock or Douglas County in general or? Sorry. Yeah, no, no, it, it, it's very nuanced. It's kind of technical, but we would apply as the developer 
for you know a project that is within the jurisdictional boundaries of Castle Rock. And because Castle Rock had opted in, we would then be eligible to apply for these funds. Um, it is greater than just creation of affordable housing at a, a multifamily rental level. Um, it is also about home ownership. Uh, we operate a down payment assistance program and have for nearly 20 years. Um, we have not been very successful in the last couple years because of the single family market, prices being up, interest rates being up, and then the funds that we've had to work with all of these years are federal. Those federal funds come with a lot of restrictions and that has also further hampered, uh, uh, stifled our ability to uh, get funds out into the hands of the first time home buyers here in Castle Rock. The state has said that it wants to convert its down payment assistance program into Prop 123 funds. So by opting in, that would then allow us to get these funds, which allows to work uh, higher subsidies, higher income brackets. We can actually work with missing middle income brackets uh, to get them in for down payment assistance, which is uh, very needed in the current marketplace. So it, it's got a lot of flexibility. And again, we would, as the program manager, apply for those funds, but because Castle Rock opted in, we could then use those funds here to create success stories here. One more question. Yes. Let's say, once again, another wellspring or something along that line right. comes. Yes. And you you go ahead because we opt in and you make the request for the funds. Are those funds guaranteed or are we once again fighting? We're fighting. Okay. Competing. Competing. Yes. <laughs> fighting. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. Any more questions? Tim Dietz. And just to reiterate, and those, once you receive the funds, they have to be used in this area. For that project. They're, they're going to be project-specific funds. Thank you. Yes, sir. Any further questions? Seeing none, I do have a person signed up, Lillian Adams. Good evening. Thank you for serving the community today and being a public servant. I just want to read an email that I did send to each of you today um, concerning this um, option to opt in. Um, I, my uh, email states that um, I ask you to vote no on the affordable housing commitment for Proposition 123 um, that was voted by voters, but each city, cities and counties will have to opt in for it to take game momentum. This will impact Tabor and tax refunds to citizens neg negatively. The town will also commit to a 90-day fast-track approval, approval process and many other things that are listed in the link below. So um, you have the option of opting out um, as it is when um, they hear, if citizens hear about their Tabor refunds, this will affect them. So I just wanted to bring that up. Thank you so much. Thank you. I have no one else on to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and callers to press star three and please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll be back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. Laura Cavey. Dave or Mike, I don't know enough about this proposition. Does it affect Tabor? 
It does, but that was what the voters directed. So the, the, the voters already made, when the voters approved one, two, three, not the voters that, um, it, was, it was enacted by, uh, by, by that process, it changed the Tabor calculations in that it took these funds out of that and it said that 0.1% of the income tax that is collected will, will not go anywhere else in any other state pools, including any Tabor pools, it will go to fund this program. So the, the citizen is correct, but it's not, it, the, the only way to change that would be to repeal one, two, three. If we opt out, what are the repercussions? I don't know that there's, that the, the repercussion, the way that I look at it is, is by opting in, it makes Castle Rock projects eligible to compete for the funds where the state, by direction of the voters, has set aside that funding for this program. That's all that opting in does. Um, we've made it very clear, and in, including adding language in the resolution that it doesn't have anything to do with zoning, land use issues. This is just making projects that would happen within Castle Rock eligible to, to, to participate. Citizen also commented on the, the fast track process. We have one of the best processes in place for um, building permits in the state. Um, we don't have any trouble meeting the requirements that the state has set out in regards to that. If you want a building permit for a project in Denver, you have to wait up to a year. That doesn't happen in Castle Rock because of the process that Tara and her colleagues manage in the Development Services Department. So that's not that's not an issue, but it is accurate that the, there is that, that requirement. Um, of course, if we don't meet it, all that means is that we're not eligible for the funds. But when the voters approved one, two, three, they said that that money will not be eligible for anything else, that 0.1% that of income tax. If, if, if income tax dramatically reduces in the state, they'll have a whole bunch of choices to make in regards to what's gonna happen with the funds, but 0.1% of that income tax will always go to this program. It will not be eligible for a Tabor refund. That's, that's our understanding of the, of the proposition. Um, I suppose if all municipalities didn't participate, then the state would say, well, we can't, you know, th this doesn't work. But that's not what's happening. There's a number of municipalities that are participating, so there's gonna be others that would then be eligible and we would not be. So that point one, sorry for all the questions. This no, was good a questions. complicated. Um, so that point one percent or whatever it is, it's a done deal. It's already set aside. There's, we're never going to get that Tabor money back at this point unless it goes on the ballot again, and we vote to repeal it. Right. right. Or there's a, a subsequent constitutional amendment that somehow eviscerates that 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 provision, which you know, I, I try not to say. I, I never say never. Right. I'm just trying to exactly no, yeah. It, the, right, the way that it stands now, Tabor doesn't apply to that to the one two three funds. Um, and, and that's not all that uncommon for um, initiatives to exempt themselves from Tabor. Well, I know we we've, we've done it. We did it. Right. So right. I'm understanding. Right. And is is this one two three permanent? 
Like, you know, when we did ours, we did a 10-year Tabor timeout. I'm, I'm not aware of a phase-out on one, okay. two, three. Is there already? Yeah. No, it, it is permanent unless repealed by the voters of the state of Colorado or some other legal uh, means, but it'd still be a statewide vote. Okay. So there's nothing that the town of Castle Rock can do to get back the funds. I'm just very protective of Tabor. You know, of we're course. all taxpayers, right? And and Tabor has been under attack for a long time. Um, so I just want to make sure that we're not doing anything here that hurts people's tax dollars. No. Opponents <laughs> of one, two, three. That was one of their arguments against it. Was is that it. It, it exempted that funding from Tabor, and the proponent said, "Well, it's only 0.1 percent of the income tax." So go, you go back and forth, and, okay. and, it, and it prevailed. I don't recall the percentage, but it, it was enough to to carry the day. And, and okay. in, ter in terms of the fast tracking question, they're not asking that for this round. That will be next round. <laughs> but even at that, Castle Rock already meets it because one of the recommended fast track ways is to have a pre-development meeting with all of the interested public works, planning, et cetera, because they already do that. So that's not even an issue here either. Okay, thank you. I'm sorry for, oh, you're good. I, it was just confusing. Ryan. Yes, yeah, so I was just reviewing that article too, and it's from September of 2022. So all the points are valid in the article, but it's before we voted. So now that we voted, like everything is explained is in place, so. Well, I move to approve the resolution as introduced by title and like to speak in favor of it. Second. I have a uh, first by myself and a second by Tim Dietz. Is that right, Tim Dietz? Yes. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, and I just say, um, you know, it, it's not perfect, um, but it's way, way better than 213. Um, and it, we can opt in and opt out, and um, it, it helps us put, put uh, affordable housing in places that we believe are. Uh, available for it, and we believe that deserve it and need it. Um, two one three from last year was was almost the opposite. It was telling us where to put um, homes and that kind of thing, and, and affordable housing. This one here gives us the options, and it gives us a teammate with Douglas County Housing Partnership. Um, also, it was this was heavily discussed at my Metro Mayor's meeting uh, about two months ago, and it was overwhelmingly uh, approved, mostly because it wasn't two one three, and because you could figure it out and work with it. Um, and I think it, it does a lot of things that we'd like to do in the town of Castle Rock. Um, it does, it, and also it stops, doesn't stop because 213 in some form or another is gonna come back. Um, but it helps us at least point to things that we're doing on our communities when when the, uh, the state legislator or the governor um, says, what are you guys doing in your communities? We can say, we're doing this as well. So, thank you. Any more discussion? Uh, great comment at the end there because it's exactly the point that I'd, I'd like to make. That I mean, first of all, what's really unfortunate about this is that it uses the same numbers in a different order is something that was a absolutely terrible idea uh, that came out of the governor's office uh, and which was terrible enough that it got pushed back, which is really saying something out of uh, out of that legislature. Um, it, this is something that you know I work with the housing partnership. It's something that I've been aware of uh, very early on and have been really trying to push the conversation to get to this point. Uh, Brad Bull has done uh, a lot of work on it, uh, and, and and so has town staff. Just making sure that this thing has been turned over time and time again to make sure there aren't any trap doors in here. This isn't any sort of quid pro quo to say, okay, well, if you get if you do this, you take this money, then now you have to do this. It, that, absolutely, and and that has been that has been my fear with this as well because yeah. You know, 
you know, there, there was a lot to be concerned about. Uh, you know, the money's already been allocated, so that's not an issue. Um, this is something that already, you know what, well, we have an, a lot of units that are pretty much already make it a slam dunk for us to qualify just by simply closing on some of the things that uh, that are out there. Now, to be fair, it's nothing current like the like Wellspring or uh, or any of the other projects. It, it doesn't go towards that number. Uh, but even if should we, we should fall short, I mean, the number of projects that are unincorporated Douglas County will will far outweigh. Uh, trust me, those other those other municipalities that are staring down a much longer road uh, as far as trying to meet their number are most likely going to do so. There's a lot of support for this uh, within the different municipalities. Um, and I think part of that is also understanding that the county might be able to kind of pull the weight on this. Um, so this is something I've been supportive of from the from the very beginning and um, would like to really thank Artie, uh, his staff, thank Maria, draw online, uh, and absolutely in support of this. Any more discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember, um, sorry, Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Number 24, resolution 2023-110, resolution approving the service plan for Crystal Valley Shops Metropolitan District and authorizing the execution of intergovernmental agreement by um, the, between the town of Castle Rock and the district. Mike Hyman. Great, thank you. Ah, the famous clicker. Thank you, Mayor, members of the council. We're gonna go ahead and uh, pull up my presentation, I guess, first. Uh, but uh, just to let you know, this is uh, a, a resolution, uh, proposed resolution approving a service plan for the Crystal Valley Shops Metropolitan District and authorizing the execution of an intergovernmental agreement with the uh, district uh, upon its formation. Uh, it's a step in the process for creating the district. So that's uh, okay. Well, I'll wing it from, from here. Uh, I would like to, to note that uh, uh, the attorney who represents the proponents of the district, uh, Jennifer Ivey of the firm Eisenagel, Seaver and Pogue is uh, here today and I believe she will have a short presentation after my short presentation and is available to answer any questions you may have regarding the uh, district service plan. So how are we doing? It, it is attached in Legistar. Okay. Yeah, and there we go. Jennifer Ivy. <laughs> oh, no worries, Shannon. It's all right. Ah, yay! That looks very familiar. There we go. The presentation last, and I do have the clicker, so I can do this. Or can I do this? Or maybe you'll have to do it for me. Okay. Here's a quick little map of the property that's subject to the service plan. You'll uh, find the hatched portion is the property. It's a little under uh, six acres. It's right at the uh, southwest corner of Crystal Valley Parkway and Plum Creek Boulevard. 
Ah, so how are we doing? Are we okay? I just turned it off. So I did not turn on the on button. Just go. <laughs> so uh, the approval process for uh, districts is uh, governed by the Special District Control Act and state statutes and Chapter 11.02 of our Kazarok Municipal Code. Uh, the note that I wanted to make here is that uh, this is a, a piece of property that's designated entirely for commercial development. So there are going to be no residents affected uh, by the uh, uh, taxes imposed by the district. It's just really the uh, uh, commercial owners on that site. So key features of our model service plan. Uh, the district must enter into an IGA, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, the IGA essentially sets forth the limitations that uh, we impose on the district's activities through the service plan. There's a maximum debt service mill levy of 50 mills and an overall property tax mill levy of 60 mills for that property. Uh, the district is subject to a maximum debt service mill levy imposition term of 35 years on any single property within the district. In other words, uh, you can't impose the debt service levy for more than 35 years, uh, and that essentially results in 35-year bonds. Uh, district can't issue or refinance debt without first submitting the proposed financing for town council review and comment. And then here's the most important feature of our revised model service plan uh, that we've been uh, imposing over the last uh, year or two uh, in the town. Uh, the district is required to impose a regional mill levy of five mills on the property within its boundaries. Those revenues come to the town so that uh, the district can help uh, alleviate the impact upon town services. There's a list of findings and recommendations. I won't read them all to you, but you can see them there. Uh, these are the uh, um, uh, things that a district proponent needs to show in order uh, to have that uh, uh, service plan approved. Uh, we believe that in reviewing the plan and uh, uh, the proposal made by the proponents, that they meet these and there's sufficient evidence uh, to show uh, that uh, the district service plan should be approved. But I will go ahead and also rely on uh, 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 Ms. Ivey to uh, uh, supplement that presentation uh, for you and answer any questions you may have concerning the district. So I'll put this forward. Here's your authority. You have a choice. You can approve the service plan without condition or modification. You can disapprove the service plan, and you can conditionally approve the service plan subject to the submission of additional information or maybe a modification you want to see in the plan. Basically, after we've reviewed it and the finance department's reviewed it, we recommend that the service plan be approved without condition or modification. So. I will show you. We have uh, proposed motions for your consideration. Um, at this time, I'll go ahead and turn over to Ms. Ivy if you want to pull up her uh, uh, presentation. Shannon? I have to turn that on. Yes, okay. Great. Jennifer Ivy, I snuggle Seaver Pogue on behalf of the applicant. Um, Proterra entity, um, PT Crystal Valley LLC, I believe is the entity name. Um, Sorry, there we go. Yes. 
Uh, we also have members of the project team with us here. We have um, a member of the finance advisor, D.A. Davidson and Company, in case you ask me any hard financial questions. I was told there'd be no math, so I will defer to them on that. Uh, we also have a representative from PT Crystal Valley in case you have any development-related questions. Just to orient you a bit, because you haven't probably seen anything on this project, uh, you might be aware of it, but um, as Mr. Hyman pointed out, and I wanted to thank staff uh, to begin with for all of their work on this and their review and their time. Um, they've been a pleasure to work with, um, and also just the town for having a great model service plan. Um, it makes my job much easier. It also makes complying with the statutory and town criteria much easier. So um, as Mr. Hyman pointed out in his brief presentation, this is a 5.169 acre parcel located within a plan, within the Lanterns plan development. Um, this is commercial only. Um, current plans that have been under review, um, there's been site development plans submitted in 2023. I think we're on the second round of comments, the applicant is on the second round of comments internally with those. This is looking at 26,000 square feet of restaurant and retail space with four buildings on two lots. Um, phase one of the development includes two commercial retail buildings and phase two will add a quick serve restaurant and additional retail or food service buildings. This is adjacent as you saw on the map and I think I have that map on a second slide, adjacent to the Crystal Valley residential development. Um, so this is going to provide much needed commercial services in an area where that's currently underserved with commercial development. Uh, our timeline here, uh, tonight we have the public hearing before the town council. Um, assuming that the town council would approve this service plan, we'd then be moving forward to a November 7, 2023 organizational election uh, with hopes of having the court order entered by the end of the year, which puts us in a great position for construction to begin in 2024. Um, as you'll see at the bottom of the right-hand side of the slide, um, we've been kind of spoiled in the last couple of years because we've had May elections back to back as the legislative change um, for special districts came into effect, which gave us more opportunities to form special districts. We don't have that next year. So um, the next opportunity to form a special district after this November is November 2024. So um, that makes this all the more important from a timing aspect to move forward this year. Uh, redundant with the map that you've already been shown, um, but adjacent to this residential development and much needed commercial space here. Here's a rendering from um, one of the drawings I think that has already been submitted to the town, just showing sort of schematically how this, might, this development might look. Um, generally, metro districts are really consistent with the user pay, growth paying its own way type of um, paradigm we have here in Colorado. Um, special districts are created to serve a public purpose. They promote the health, safety, prosperity, security, and general welfare of the inhabitants of such districts, or here, really, the inhabitants of surrounding the districts, um, as this is a commercial development. Special districts afford the development uh, special opportunities because they have the ability to fund public improvements through bond issuances. So it opens up the public fi finance market um, for this type of entity. So similar to what the town of Castle Rock or other municipalities can enter into, lower interest rates, better financing options, lower debt costs overall, allowing for more improvements to be built. Um, the future property owners here, commercial property owners or lessees of the property, are the ones who are gonna pay for this rather in, uh, in a tax, uh, rather than upfront pricing. 
and it has access to longer term funding uh, and lower interest rates, as I was mentioning. As you're all probably aware, um, metro districts are fairly common here in the state of Colorado. I think this slide is a little bit outdated, but there's definitely over 2,500 metro districts in Colorado. This specific project, um, this district's responsibilities would be to fund public improvements. The public improvements that they'd primarily be funding would be on and offside roadway improvements, water and sewer main extensions, drainage facilities, open space, and um, sort of landscaping adjacent to the commercial development. Maintenance of those public improvements, um, to the extent that the town is taking on those improvements, that would be through the town. Um, the district will be only operating and maintaining improvements as approved by the city in an intergovernmental agreement. So the city controls that future operation and maintenance. It's really a funding source for the upfront um, public improvements to get the development going. And there's no overlapping services being provided here. So the district's not um, overlapping with any other service provider, really supplementing the existing service providers and providing for the public infrastructure that the town, the county, and other service providers can't pay for because they don't have funding available. Criteria for special district service plans. Um, again, here we have a list of the requirements in the Special District Act. Um, as I was saying, the town has made my job pretty easy because all of these things are already included in your service plan. So we check all those boxes just by using your model service plan. Um, so we have the proposed services, the boundary map, the assessed valuation estimates, the facilities to be constructed, cost estimates, and um, a list of any proposed IGAs, including the IGA with the city, or the town, I'm sorry. Um, in addition, there are additional criteria in Chapter 11.2 of the town code. Um, as Mr. Hyman stated, after staff's evaluation, they find that we are in compliance with those and do meet those criteria. And staff has no outstanding concerns or issues. So the service plan is consistent with the policies that are in effect, um, both state, municipal, and county. Specific to this service plan, the maximum debt authorization is 3.5 million. Um, this amount is based on the criteria provided by the town that it be not more than seven, sorry, 95% of the estimated cost of the public improvements plus the estimated cost of issuance. Uh, I will tell you, I got help doing the math to make sure we weren't exceeding the 95%. Um, there are estimated total improvement costs. I just want to point out that this says public. The total improvement costs are just north of 4.6 million. Um, the total public improvement portion of that is currently estimated at 2.8 million. Um, and then the other portion of that to make up that debt authorization is from the um, estimated cost of issuance, reserves, and those other numbers. Um, mill levies, not to be redundant with anything you've already been presented. We are in compliance with the town's model service plan. We do have a maximum debt mill levy of 50, a maximum aggregate mill levy of 60 mills, that would include any operations and maintenance functions the district was gonna take on in an operations and maintenance mill levy, and that all important five mills uh, for regional mill levy, which comes back to the town. We're also in compliance with all the disclosure and transparency requirements. Uh, your model service plan includes many of those, and there's also been legislatively a lot of additional disclosure and transparency requirements passed at a statewide level over the last couple of years, all of which the district will be subject to. Um, the last bullet here, I did wanna note, um, I, we failed to update this. This is not from your model service plan. Um, 
but you do have a very similar, I'm sorry, I'm failing at navigating. Uh, you do have a very similar um, statement in your model service plan, so I'll just read it to you here. Approval of the service plan shall not indicate implicitly or expressly that any land use applications now on file with the town or any land use applications filed in the future will be approved by the town. The point being that this is not approving the development. Um, this is just approving the service plan. The town will still have all of its power over land use approvals, and so those plans will come to you at subsequent town council meetings. From a statutory criteria standpoint, um, there's four statutory criteria that are exhibited by the service plan and the exhibits there too. All of that was included in your meeting packet. Um, that's that there's sufficient, sufficient existing and projected need for organized service in the area to be served by the proposed district. Um, that is shown by just demand for commercial development, demand for development in general and that there isn't any commercial development in the proximity of this already large residential development. So it's going to really fill that need. Um, obviously, the construction of the public improvements are needed for that development, that commercial development to move forward. And then there's a need for any maintenance of public improvements that won't be accepted by the town or another governmental entity. The second criteria is that the existing service in the area is inadequate for present and projected needs. Um, there's currently no other entities that are going to provide this service and the proposed district will provide the funding for the required improvements and a funding mechanism for the perpetual maintenance needs. Um, so as I was mentioning, there really is an existing commercial service in the area and so this is filling that need. Financial, uh, the proposed service plan is capable of providing economical and sufficient service to the area within its proposed boundaries. This is where we rely very heavily on the math. Um, exhibit F to the service plan is the financial plan. That financial plan shows you not only that the district with its projected assessed valuation will have the ability to both issue debt and pay back that debt, but also that it will have the ability to raise funds for operations and maintenance expenses. Um, and that's detailed in that exhibit F. It shows that the, that will be available and it's in line with comparable districts. Um, your model service plan has a cap of 50 mils, a combined cap of 60 mils. That's really in line with other districts that we're seeing in the area um, and that have been previously approved by the town. And last but not least, um, that they'll have the ability to discharge their proposed indebtedness. Kind of touched on that in the last slide as well. Again, this is shown in Exhibit F, is that based on the projected assessed valuation, uh, that the district will have the ability to not only issue those bonds, but pay it back. And an important note um, is the financing plan is always subject to limitations of the bond industry, limitations imposed by bond council, um, state statutes, and obviously, as um, Mr. Hyman was noting, uh, Castle Rock's model requires that any financing be brought back to the town for approval. So uh, a lot of safeguards in what that financing looks like since right now we're kind of looking at a crystal ball when we look at a financing plan. Um, so with that, I know it's getting late. I don't want to take up much of time expanding on these points. Um, you do have all the evidence in the record in your service plan. Again, as I was noting, what we're asking for here tonight at this public hearing is approval of the service plan without modification as suggested by your town staff. And I'm happy to answer any questions unless they have to do with math. And in that case, I'll bring somebody else up. 
Thank you. We have questions for applicant and staff. I'm Tim Dietz and then Laura Kivy. Uh, Dave, just to clarify, and whether it's you or not, the mill levy on this is on the commercial property, not existing residents. That is correct. Because if it, anybody it, listening, I want them to understand it, that. It is only on the property owner that is requesting this district be established, the commercial it's property. It's not going to be another 60 mills tacked on it's, it's, to it's not going across local residents that no, live no, around there. No, it's not, not hitting any residential property. Okay. And, and Councilmember, while you asking a very good question, I want to make sure Council understands. This is the one time in the Metro District chronology that Town Council gets to do a green light or a red light on a metro district. Once it's greenlit from here and the service plan is, a, is enacted, then the metro district goes ahead, does the election. The election is, um, is basically a vote among themselves. It's the, proper, the existing property owners. It gets established. Land use issues decided completely separate than this process and, and it proceeds. You're gonna hear a lot of discussions about metro districts here in the coming months as we go into the property tax issues of the fall um, and, and some and from existing metro districts that, that are on residential property primarily is where you're going to hear a lot of those comments and those you don't have any authority to change any of those metro districts now because the service plan was approved by previous councils previous decades back this is your one time to decide whether or not the metro district service plan is appropriate staff has reviewed it Mrs. Ivy's gone over it as well. One of the key items, I think, is that, that the, the debt has got a 35-year life to it, which is roughly about the, the length of the infrastructure that's going to be there. You know, sewer lines, water lines, streets, I mean, they, they, don't, they don't all expire at once. But that's roughly about the, 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 it's a good period of time. It's not going on forever. I think that's a really important aspect of our model service plan. It's reflected in this service plan. But this is your one time to, to decide whether or not the Metro District is established and it proceeds. Staff's recommending it, but I just want to make sure that this, the Metro District stuff doesn't really come back. We get an opportunity to review and comment on their debt, but we don't really green light it or not. It's, this is your time to approve it. I want to make sure everybody understands that. And I just brought up the map just so you can see. It's, that it ha it's the hatching isn't very evident, um, but it is that hatched portion right here. So it's that is the only property that's subject to this new mill levy. It's not anything adjacent to that. Um, and a good point that was brought up just that this is an independent unit of government. So this is not the town. This doesn't go on the town's books. Um, once the service plan is approved and a district is organized, it becomes its own unit of government. Um, so not something that the town has to decide on over and over again. Laura Cavey. Dave, maybe you can help me here because I'm struggling a little bit with this. Okay. I don't understand why we're doing um, a metro district on a commercial property. And who is going to be paying those mills? Is it only the property owner yes. himself? Yes, it's, it will be the or property herself, owner. whoever. Yeah, the, the, the property owner. Now, they may pass it on to their tenants. That's my point. Their, their commercial tenants. And then those commercial tenants, when they have a restaurant there, are going to pass it along to the people that probably That's, eat there. Right, and that's how th that, that would either be reflected in their, their property taxes or in their rent, depending upon the different structure that a property owner might have with 
their tenants. So why, why would we do this? I've never <laughs> seen one come before us that's commercially related because to me it's a little subversive in terms of it seems like taxation without representation, meaning even though the property owner agrees to this, somehow everybody in this room is going to end up paying for this. Only, well, only if they decide to lease the property would they pay for it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, even, so let's say the property gets leased, right? Let's say there's a few restaurants, there's whatever else, right. there's a boutique. I don't know, I'm making stuff up. Right. Right, whatever ends up being in there. Right. The folks that end up going there, you and me and the people in the audience, right. are going to eat that 50 mils because it's somehow going to come back to us in the way they tax at their restaurant, well, except at their the, boutique. Right, the, 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 res, the response is, is that the improvements that are going to be made on the property have to be made in order for there to be a viable commercial tenancy for anything. If there is a um, hair salon or an ice cream shop or whatever it is, th those, those entities need a water line there. Who should pay for it? The, the, the taxpayers shouldn't pay for it. They're not going to. Well, the, but the, they the, sort the, of are. No. They're not because the, the general taxpayers of Castle Rock are not paying for that water line. Well, they won't, but whoever ends up in there that paid for it is going to pass that cost on. That's true for every establishment in Castle Rock, I would submit. It's true for if there's a castle, if, if there's a coffee shop on Wilcox, that building has to pay property taxes. It also has to have paid for its building to have been built, the water line to have got there, the sewer line to be there, the parking lot to have been built. Somebody had to pay those costs and the, the, the property owner is saying, tenants, if you want to be there, you should share in that cost. And the issue is whether or not it's going to be reflected in, in, the, in the rent or whether it might be reflected in the property taxes over time. And I'll just add. I mean, that, that, there, yeah. you, you, you could do this project without a metro district, arguably. And what would happen is, is that the, the, the bank would then charge the interest rate to pay for the developer to build all of these different things. And that would then be reflected in the, the value of the commercial building and then the tenancy for all the different tenants as well. In this case, They've made a financial judgment that a metro district is better to spread it out over a certain period of years in, in, in financing it as opposed, as opposed to a, a bank a borrowing from a bank. And that, that, that's probably their, their thinking in regards to that. And at a and, lower interest rate, arguably. Yeah, Sorry. and I think that's the important <laughs> thing. It's one, uh, it, it has always been my experience that uh, commercial loan rates are several points higher than the tax exempt market that a, a metro district is going to borrow in. So you're either going to pay that extra float uh, on the commercial, commercial rate and pass it on to your customers, or you're going to pay the lower amount that you would pay to a metro district. I think that's probably one of the important things to remember. Let's vote on uh, extended meeting for 10 minutes. Second. Okay, for discussion, roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pretend Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes 7 0. Thank you. May continue. Thank you. 
No, Councilman Bergen, I, th I think you're raising some very good questions. Absolutely. Some of the advocacy points that I would throw out respectfully in regards to why this is a good project for the community is we still need more retail. I mean, we need, uh, you know, we, you, we need retail to pay for some of your top priorities as, as a council that you, that you have set out. So we need more retail. This is an opportunity to get more retail. We want the project to be successful, so we want it to get financing at its, at its best cost. Um, the one, one thing that um, uh, I, some, some people that um, uh, are more financially savvy than I are know that this, uh, the interest rate, the, the interest on, the, on this municipal debt is, is income tax exempt at both the federal level and the state level. So that helps that um, cost of borrowing go down. So that helps the, the viability of a project as well. So that, that's probably why that, that the, 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 some of the, the advocacy points for this. Um, as Jennifer's point out, Mike points out, we all point out, when we pointed out when we put together our Metro District report, at no times is, is this the, the debt of the town. We, we, we have no debt exposure for this. If for some reason this gets built and no one is able to um, pay for the, um, the, the property taxes on this and it goes to foreclosure, all, that, all those other kind of things, doesn't matter to the town as far as its financial reports are concerned. So there's never any municipal liability exposure for, for this debt. Um, so, I mean, we think, it, we think it's valuable to have the retail, we think it's valuable to have it at a, at a, at a good cost point. Um, we, you are correct that the, the tenants um, and, the, and the property owners will pay, pay those taxes. They will pay for those costs somehow else through their rent. If there is a, a building and if there's a, another commercial center in town, they're paying for all of the costs associated with that building, all of the infrastructure that it took to get there, all of those other things in their, in their rent. It's just not as express as it is with a Metro District mill levy. That's, that's some of the arguments in favor of it. Um, and, and, but I could also, you know, you, you, you could raise other valid points as well, but I, I think that's, that, that's why something like this um, generally makes sense um, we do have other commercial um, uh, metro districts. Uh, Promenade is, a, is an example where they've got that all, all around that in different, different shapes and um, in, in sizes. At, um, there may have been earlier uh, metro districts that have paid off in regards to some of the other commercial areas as well, but that, that is an example. We see most of them, you're correct, with residential and not, and not commercial. So th those are some of the pros and cons that I can think of. Any more questions for staff or the applicant? Seeing none, I have no one's time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users can use the raise your hand feature and phone and callers to press start three. And please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. Just one more question. Sure. Is this, will we vote on this twice, or is this the only vote? This is the only vote. This is a res resolution on the Metro District uh, service plan. 
It's, it's, it, and by our laws, it's, it's set up by a resolution. Um, again, this is independent of the land use, and you understand that. Right. Um, but this is just simply to, to, to set this, to adopt essentially their service plan, their, their constitution for how they're going to govern themselves. And then once that's done, then they, they proceed on under the state law to set it up and to, to do the things that they need to do in order to, to proceed. But this is your one time on, on the Metro District issue. Thank you. Tim Dietz? Nope, no, no, no question. Okay. I thought we were moving on no, you to, go a, ahead. to a motion. Sure. Okay. I move to approve the resolution number 2023-110 as introduced by title. Second. Second. Uh, first by Tim Dietz. Second, I think Max Brooks. I understand. <laughs> um, and uh, further discussion. I, I think that, you know, metro districts are hard because... Um, of their reputation especially. But what we did a couple of years ago as a council, when, as Dave mentioned, we made a limit of 35 years because some of these districts go on for generations. And this is what we did as a council to, to have a sunset clause of 35 years, which we determined, as Dave mentioned, is about the time when it has to be replaced anyhow. Um, and that would be um, not revolved 35 and then 70 and then 70 goes to 120. So I think that that is the best clause that we have done as a council. Um, and I thank the town for that. And I get that Metro districts can be hard, um, but this here is a lot less um, burden on the owners and then the, um, conversely the tenants. So we have a first and a second. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Thank you. The time is now 9.37. I also have a motion to adjourn the meeting. So moved. Second. First by Mayor Pro Tem Bracken, second by Laura Cavey. Any further discussion? Did we have it? No, we didn't. We're all, we had them all. Yep. Roll call vote. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passed unanimously. Adjourned. Thank you, guys.